Hello there, welcome to Pivotal Film, I'm Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio. And we're still deep into the winter spirit. It's the award season, we're getting best of the year list coming out. Uh, best COVID variant is going to yeah. Omicron. Which apparently cannot be pronounced. What? How else would you pronounce it? I don't know, I, did you see that, the list of like the most mispronounced words of the year, and Omicron was one of them? Oh really? Yeah. Is it Omicron or is it Omicron? Is there an N? Because why is it then Omnicron? Well, there is an N. Oh, it is Omnicron? I think it is. I, I guess we're proving them right. Yeah. We're proving okay. the dictionary people right. I still don't know what a chuggy or whatever the fuck is. What's a chuggy? I don't know. It's something to do with like... A friend of mine went to a chuggy Friendsgiving. And I think it is just like... Um, not stylish, basically. I don't know. It's probably some new word. Why does there need to be a know. word for that? Why can't you just say not stylish? Or passe, even. Mm. That's the that's already better. word, yeah. Chuggy. Might not even be how you say it. I don't remember. It's apparently pronounced really differently than I expected. It's not chuggy? I don't know. I'm not going to look it up. I don't you don't want to spend like the whole hour just oh, no. God <laughs> saying no. chuggy back and forth at each other? Did you get a chance to see Owen Gleiberman's top ten? I did, Mario. <laughs> I liked, we're did. just like, I'm going to put Gorilla in my top ten. You know what's Which one was of... fine. I thought that movie was perfectly fine. Um, I didn't watch it because there's um, sensitive vegans in my house, and they oh. were having absolutely none of it. I really just sat there for a second going, like, what? Why it's not vegan about <laughs> but gorilla? But it's Tom Luke. <laughs> no, but I was like, because I was trying to think, of like, what do they eat? And then I realized, it's, like, the, oh, right. it's, the dead, it's the dead dogs. Yeah. That aren't eating. No, it's not about the eating them. It's just killing them. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and sewing them into clothes. Well. Making them into clothes. My daughter, not really, you're not really sewing an animal into the clothes. I, I would suggest that the animal's kind of right. in animal shape. I assumed my daughter would be more into that, like, and kind of having have more, like, um, you know, she would wrestle with it, but she was just kind of like, fuck that movie. And I was like, that's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, but the rest of it is ridiculous. Yeah, it's like where he's just like, Zack Snyder's Justice League. I was like, oh man, are you trying to like just anger Armand White or something? The list kind of seemed like an anti-Armand White list. Well, but I Armand guess... Armand White? Arm- Armand White? No, Armand White. Chuggy that's, that's, White? Yeah. <laughs> Unless that means something racist. That's bad. Um, yeah, I don't know. Everybody's list seemed it seemed like a little batshit. You know... Like in, 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 in certain directions. You know what I mean? Either too like... Like over, overly like bougie and elitist, or too, sight and sound like, kind of had that. Sight and sound had that. Richard Brody's was kind of like that. <laughs> Richard Brody, Brody's Richard yet. Brody's was very woke, um, which he is, is. He can be, but he kind of inserted some movies that I was just like, that one, like that even was, that one. That ended up being Sight and Sound's number one. And I thought it was. It was definitely wasn't their number one that gave us the the trouble. It was their cry macho. Well, just you start with all these like foreign, you know. Uh, what is it? Petite Maman was number two. Yeah, Petite Maman right? was number two. Souvenir Part Two. Was... Souvenir Part Two was number one. Oh, it is number one. Oh, okay. But even that, Souvenir Part Two was number one. Uh, Titan was in like the top five. I think Ride Ride um, Drive My Car was I think in the top five as well. And then so there's all these things on it. And then if you keep scrolling up, it's like Cry Macho. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, what's this? What's this but then there was a bunch of other. And I don't even want to. I don't really want to go into it. But there's a bunch of other movies on it. That I was kind of like, this movie? Like, how can you start a list like this and end it like this? Like, yeah. that doesn't make any sense either. And maybe it's just doing 50 movies. But 
I did appreciate them having Sensor in their top 20, though. I saw that as well. But then First Cal was there, and I forgot what year First Cal even came out. Well, and then there's a couple of people that have Judas and the Black Messiah, like, we are going to well, have it yeah, on we're for have theirs. It. The father is going to be on right. ours. Minari was... Minari was, is eligible as well. Yeah. And Nomadland, which I know you're looking forward to. Oh, yeah. Nomadland's on, on one of my lists still. <laughs> so, just before we like continue to the beer, I really want to clarify a text you sent me, which is that, like, Cry Macho is going to end up on a list. It's on the list. I think it's going to be on right. Oh, right. And not no, like no, a, no, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Because like I, I saw it. I was like, the same oh. list. The same list that Nomad lands currently on, but like right. on the edge. I saw it and I was like, ha ha ha. Wait a minute. Wait a second. Mario has zagged on movies before. No, no, God has, no. Has he watched Cry Macho a bunch more times and found some <laughs> endearing things? But it's shown up on a bunch of top te- like top of the year lists. And not just from Armand White, from like a lot of people. Yeah. Have put Cry, and I was like, Cry Macho? What the I, hell? That didn't even get good reviews when it came out. No, I thought everyone was kind of just like, like no, no, this is ridiculous. This All is right. a 90-year-old man. Speaking of 90-year-old men, no, no, it didn't work. Oh, were you trying to lean into Bob Dole? <laughs> well, Bob Dole can't appreciate the beer we're about ready to drink, nor can he appreciate this upcoming Christmas. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. There's a pause where I'm like, maybe we cut this out. Meh. Let's see. If not, if so, let me readjust. You know, 90-year-olds, sometimes Christmases are in short order for them. And maybe they want to enjoy a nice beer during Christmas. They might like this. Yeah, who knows. Uh, Continuing down the road of just experimenting with beer again. And, you know, we didn't want to do stouts since that was what we did all throughout the Pivotal Film List. Kind of just leaning into the spiced, weird Christmas ales. And this is... From Southern Tier, out of Lakewood, New York. Um, oh yeah, we did a Southern. We did a pumpkin beer, pumpkin. Yeah, we did pumpkin. Yeah. Or I think we did a couple other Southern tiers maybe throughout the days. There's so many beers we did. This is two Xmas. Um, so I guess double Christmas. Well, I should say it's <laughs> double Christ. Yeah. Um, oh, good. It is a spice double ale, ringing in eight percent, which is a spice double ale. Like it's just a spice ale at eight percent seems. Could be nuts. Yeah, heavy. Uh, it's brewed with orange peels, ginger root, cardamom, cinnamon, fig paste, and cloves. Hmm. I expected a booziness to this. Not so this past past weekend, yeah, I had a Stone's twenty fifth IPA celebration IPA. Mm-hmm. Only reason I got it was because it was just an IPA. Labeled as a celebration IPA, ringing in at 12.5%. Mm. And I was like, is this going to be something where they're trying to cover up the fruitiness, or are they just going to go full into the booziness? And the second I popped that thing open, I was like, I smelt it. I was like, oh, this is just, uh, this is boozy. Stone. This is going to be a barley wine. Yeah. Um, and that's what it tasted like. I expected a spiced ALA to present the taste like that, but this is really light. It's light. It's a very. It's drier than I think I want yeah, it to be. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe the clove, it's an the ale. clove aspect of it, right, is making me okay. The clove and ginger, I guess, is making me okay. It doesn't taste. I that think it tastes dry. good. Yeah. I just almost. I, I think you're right. I want it to be a, like a little more syrupy or something. You want it to like I linger. It to you want it to linger. Yeah. You want those flavors to linger, except when they kind of leave the mouth, they're gone. Well, when you. When, and I'm really smelling the shit out of it. Um, when you smell it, you almost expect, like a like you said, like an aged, like a bourbon barrel type beer. And this is very ale Or barley wine-ish. Something, yeah. yeah. It's hmm. very ale it, it You wouldn't... I would assume this is like a 5.5. Five. 
not at eight percent. Yeah, and I guess that all those spices kind of come through, but it also just kind of finishes very. I'm not. I'm not finding the orange, the fig paste. I mean, I could get everything else, but the fig paste. I'm not necessarily Maybe sure. Not sweet enough. What I expect fig paste to taste like. Yeah, probably sweeter. Um, it's not chewy enough. It doesn't taste like a Fig Newton. If only, if only I had this like strange ability or power to taste individual flavors. You know what's if funny? I was born with like those sorts of powers. And those would be one of the powers that I think someone in this family would have because it's um, cool but not useful. Um, you wouldn't make a whole town based around the ability to. <laughs> Taste fig paste in beer. <laughs> but it might be getting mentioned in this. Um, the movie we're going to open with, and I'm going to do a quick five-minute uh, review, is uh, Disney's... Uh, it's their 60th Disney Studios animated feature? Correct. Which Produced. doesn't seem like enough. It seems like it should be more. But I guess that's right. I feel like we're getting like eight of these a year now, but um, it's in, in Kanto. Many years ago, this candle blessed our family with a miracle. Our house, our casita, came to life with magic. Hola, casita. Floors! Floors! Let's go! In time, every member of our family... Cecilia, up top! ...was given their own magical gift. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I understand you. I'm not super strong like Luisa. The donkey's got out again. On it! Or effortlessly perfect like Senorita Perfecta Isabella. But Mama, why am I the only one that didn't get a gift? You're just as special as anyone else in this family. You just healed my hand with an arepa con queso. So I guess the significant part of this movie is that it's got original songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, You know, some of them seem like kind of toss-offs of... uh, other stuff he did like Moana he did Moana right he did he like co-wrote and like wrote a couple of songs for Moana but the, the Vivo did you watch Vivo it's on Netflix no it takes place in Cuba and so it's got a cute this is Colombian that's Cuban so it's got a the music has a Cuban flair to it and he wrote all the sound music for that and did a voice of uh, uh, a lemur is it Lemur that talks? I don't know. In vivo or in... in vivo? Okay. He doesn't do anything in this. He doesn't show up in this at all, I don't think. Um, but it takes place in Colombia. It actually borrows pretty liberally from the plot of um, 100 Years of Solitude, which no one's writing about. Um, there's uh, a woman and her husband and a whole town are fleeing some like marauders. And so they run into the forest and the marauders chase them, and, and the husband sacrifices himself so that everyone can live. And because of this, they are grant, the woman is granted a, a miracle. And uh, it's, a, it's a, this candle that like, gives people powers. And she has this whole family, and everyone has powers. And they build this town around the powers. And the powers include like being one of the granddaughters is really strong. Someone can control the weather. Someone can heal um, people. Uh, with cooking, one of the well, daughters that seems like a complicated step. That's but it's a good. I mean, that's that one's like seems valuable. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But there's another one that can like grow flowers. She just like grows flowers, and that's pretty good, I guess. One guy can shape shift, but he I mean, seems to use his powers just for evil. Um, the flowers might be synergistic with the cooking, but they're not. It's just like look at these flowers. Oh. Um, 
And then one guy, Bruno, he can see the future. And each person has their own room in this house, and the house keeps expanding. Again, exactly like um, 100 Years of Solitude. And then Mirabelle, she's the granddaughter of, of the woman who was originally given the miracle. She goes to the do the do the uh, the ceremony of getting her powers, and then she doesn't get any powers. And then the house starts to crumble, and people start to lose their powers, and everyone blames Mirabelle, and she has to find... Um, her uncle Bruno, who foresaw this, <clears throat> and Bruno is voiced by John Leguizamo. Mirabelle is voiced by uh, Stephanie Beatrice, who is okay. I think they cast her more for the jokes because she's not like a singer. Um, so some of the some of her songs kind of like they're not. It's not Moana, even though there's a song that's literally based off of. There's a rip off of How Far I'll Go. But Seventy B just can't really sing, so it's where Mo- that song is like a fucking epic They're Disney going song. More for the quippiness, this one's just kind of song. like, man, here's the song. Give some more jokes. She delivers her lines well, but doesn't sing them. Her singing talent's like Olivia Rodrigo's talent. Can't say that in my hands. That's that's against the that's against the rules. <laughs> um, Needless to say, it gets resolved uh, through uh, love of family. Oh, uh, Uncle Bruno's uh, voiced by um, John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo, and it's, that's pretty good. There's a good song about Bruno. Um, gets resolved, um, and that's it. Um, I, this movie's fine. Um, it's the songs are okay. They're not very memorable. I don't remember any of them. Um, like I said, the plot is borrowed from uh, Hundred Years Solitude. Um, the voice acting is okay. There's some pretty good jokes. Um, I'll say that this movie has going... Oh, I'll, I'll also say before I go to like the positives, this movie is very thin. Um, they have this whole thing, you know, the, the part of history I think that they're referencing in like Columbia's history is very rich and deep and complicated and there is an opportunity I think to like build this larger world but they don't build any world there's zero world building it's more just kind of like production design if this is like an actual I, mean, I guess there's production design here too um, so they just make everything look a certain way and they kind of hope that that that, it, that does the job of world building but it doesn't well I guess that's something I want to ask before you get into like the meat of your review is just from watching the clips and trailers I've seen of this this felt like maybe it would have been a better idea in original cell animation, like your 2D animation. Well, so here's where we run into your, Mario is that your, your, your 3D Pixar style. But I'll say that this is probably in some scenes the best animated movie okay. I've ever seen in my whole life. Okay. I mean, there's one scene in particular which people have written about where like the house falls down and Mirabelle is just, it's Mirabelle, right? Yes, it's Mirabelle. Um, is like sitting in the rubble I mean, she looks like a real person. I mean, she looks like a Disney-fied person but like the textures i'm pretty sure i mean they're real it's yeah. so it's i don't know how they did like it depth of shadowing it's insane everything. it's fucking crazy and if you see it on a big screen you're just like holy shit like that's that's just weird um but they so they did all they, they keep progressing on on this animation um but they're doing it in service of like kind of light movies you know what I mean it seems like a lot of effort for a movie that there's not a lot there I will say two things though before we kind of move on um, that's like The Little Mermaid a lot of effort went into a movie where there's not a lot there sure yeah absolutely 
is that is there like a, a deeper joke or is that just like a surface like Little Mermaid is not very good? Oh no, I just wanted to yeah, okay. I just wanted to do a hot take. Which is fine. Little Mermaid is we watched some of it at the house because um, when they announced um, like the new Little Mermaid cast, and even my daughter was just like, no. No. Well, that's based more on the stage musical, which I heard is... Oh, okay. That's good. That's smart. Much different. That's yeah. smart. Um, um, what was I going to say? We were talking about how it's Thinness. in service of a thin... Oh, yeah. So the thing that I would say is that it's better than um, the Frozen stuff. You know what I mean? Um, it's, I think one of the things that I'm, I appreciate that Disney is doing is um, this cultural appropriation stuff that they're... Kick that they're on. Just keep doing it. Because... Even that feels, and I'm trying not to make this sound as like grossly woke as, as, as it wants to be. Um, there's more meat on the bones for that stuff. Frozen is just like a fucking empty vessel. Um, it's like a black hole of, of, of commerce. This stuff at least feels like an attempt to make something um, real. For, Di- like for Disney, who it's just in like the, the commerce game here. Um, Encanto, Moana... Um, you know, is there another one that I'm leaving out? No, nah, not really. Tangled. Um, What's the? There's another, or was it just Moana, Frozen Two, and Kanto? I feel like there was another one inside of there. Oh, Raya in the Last Dragon. Um, oh, right. Do keep doing, keep doing that because you you are at least getting something closer to um, a real feeling. What would you say, like comparing it to Raya? Like, oh, Raya is being exploded out of the water because Raya are pretty emphatic. Yeah, positive about well, because it's like, outside of its conflict issues. Raya has an emotional depth to it that this movie doesn't have, so it's just kind of like, oh, we're really Mirabelle's really trying to do her best not to uh, show that she's sad about not having a thing. The family blames her when like everything starts to go to hell, and then it resolves. Spoiler alert, because you know the grandmother is really. Um, too focused on everyone ha- like not losing the miracle and is not focused enough on like letting her family be, a be family. together yeah. you know what I mean so that's not very deep no and it doesn't feel deep you're just kind of like that oh, was good but but again this feels like and we've talked about this endlessly um, this feels like a movie that belongs on Disney Plus you know what I mean the fact that we paid 50 bucks or no more than with snacks and shit to see this movie you know, seem like didn't seem, seem necessary. Just put it on Disney Plus and just be happy. Just put all this shit on streaming. I mean, one of the movies we're going to talk about, I can't even fucking imagine how it would have felt to watch it in a theater. I imagine just going like this every ten seconds. Oh my god! I'm curious to see what what movie that is. Um, yeah, whatever. But it's. Fine. You said it comes out on Disney Plus on Christmas Eve. Mm. That'll be good. That'll be good it, to throw on watch with it the kids. On Christmas Eve. Yeah. Well, you know, if you just got you're baking some shit and you want to throw something on, you will be hard pressed to find something better to watch that's part of your subscription package. Um, but again, it's not like Muppets Christmas Carol is also available on Disney Plus. Yeah, I'm sure Disney will also have some other kind of Christmas content. That's but no, just Muppets Christmas Carol. Is that on there? Yeah. Good. I'll be watching Muppets. Muppets Family Christmas on YouTube. Michael's Family? Muppets Family Christmas. Oh. The number one Christmas movie of all time. I, I, Have you ever seen it? It's on YouTube. No, no, I've never seen it. Watch it. 48 minutes. Well, my number one Christmas movie 
that I love to rewatch is well, not not including Die Hard, is um like Scrooged. So right, and it's a wonderful. We did life. that. We did that episode, right? Didn't we last year? I think we talked about doing a Scrooged episode, or we never did. Or did oh, them in like top five Christmas movie episodes. Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, in Conjo, that's it. I know it's my top favorite, but it's the one I rewatch all the time. Right. Don't remember why I put it on my list. Speaking of Christmas movies, just keep it on that train of Christmas films. Oh yeah, I forgot about it again. <laughs> Which is not necessarily the worst thing to say about this movie. Uh, it is HBO Max's first. I think this is like one of their this and No Sudden Move are the first two releases from them. Like I remember, they're like their huge intended for HBO Max releases. Mm. Oh, so this was I mean, never going to come out. I don't. I, I don't think so. I don't think no. Yeah, it was always. It looks like it was always set to be distributed. Makes um, sense. No it, sudden moves. I think also was that way. But like HBO Max hasn't really been. Do, I can't think of any movies they've done. The little like things was going to come out. Yeah, no, all those things were going to come out. Yeah. Uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League is just an extension of a movie. I mean, it was attended for HBO Max that version, but that's right. based on the theatrical. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, it's Eight Bit Christmas. The year was the late 80s. I was 11 years old. Did you wear a helmet? Yeah, we always wore helmets in the 80s. Me and my friends would do anything just to play one. Any of you huddled masters want to play? What have you brought me? I got a goldfish! Untraceable! Cash! Money! It's the final countdown! One thing became clear, I needed to get my own. This is bigger than Christmas. Vietnam. I don't think that means what you think it means. I have no idea what it means. We're gonna get in so much trouble. Sometimes during Christmas, just when you think that all hope is lost, something magical happens. Sold out in 20 minutes. Suddenly, one woman punched her grandma right in the throat. Same family, too. Are you making all this up? No, no, no way. Uh, Jake Doyle? played by Neil Patrick Harris as an adult, is recounting to his kid at his uh, parents' home mm-hmm. about how she's complaining about wanting a phone. And he just recounts the story of his journey of wanting a Nintendo gaming system. That's the movie. Yep. Stuff happens. Uh, Yeah, we're, there's a lot of stuff to cover in this episode, so that's why we're not doing the well, there's plot. A, but this is one of those this is one of those movies too that like if you recounted the plot, you're just kind of going this step, this step, this step, this step. This step. It's just like one after another. Yeah, I I think this is from that general sort of saccharine level Christmas film that's not doing a lot mm-hmm. perfectly fine. Yeah, I think it's a perfectly fine movie, eminently forgettable, but. But rewatchable. But rewatchable. Yeah. yeah, it's something where it's just like ah, I can put that back on again. Yep. Um, not because nothing, nothing's happening here. Yeah, I mean it's 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 got we're pro it initially because Winslow Fegley yeah. is in it because we're big. And Timmy, he continues Timmy to like, he continues great. to be like a really good child actor. I mean, he's clearly the standout part of this. I think so, and um, he. Um, I wish this, I wish his part of the script was a little better because it felt like he wanted. Remember when Timmy Failure like he was always there with like the Timmy Failure was always there with the joke. Yeah, like and then Winslow Fegley here also wants to be there with the joke and he's not always but he's there like with the straight. The he's joke. just kind of mostly Sometimes, the straight man. Yeah. But like when he needs to like have a face for a scene, 
like that entire retainer scene. Like he's acting. Oh, the retainer. He's doing all the fame. Or when he's like, "This is our Vietnam," and they're like, "I don't think you know that means what you think it means." It's like I have no idea what it means. (laughs) Um, so it's good, but like I'm biased because this movie features a projectile vomiting scene, and like I love projectile vomiting in films. I how does Stand by Me not make your? uh... Because I think it's too. It's not done for. It wants me to think it's funny. Oh. Instead of just kind of being like a way that like then what, badness. Then what about Team America? Well, so right after we finish this movie, I put YouTube on and we watch that scene again. Mm-hmm. And my kids like also find it humorous, but they think they're very concerned for me because I can't stop laughing. Well, because it's, it's like, like one of the great scenes of all. If, again, if we, we've talked about it a million times. If we ever did a pivotal film like episode or pivotal scene episode, that's on my list. Yeah, I think every it might single be on fucking mine. time. It might be on mine. I remember watching that movie in theaters and just I thought I almost peed myself. And I that doesn't happen to me. I never laugh that hard in movies, but I almost fucking well, died. That was in my one that was up there. That was in my one fifties, I think. It was on your best of the two, yeah. uh, of the yeah. decade so far. Yeah. But yeah. I love and there's the great projectile vomiting scene of this where they don't even try. I think you could see like the white tube, the end of the white tube at one point, <laughs> and I was just like, "Yes, it's happening!" And he throws up all over the teacher. It was great. Why am I for? I'm gonna be honest. Why am I forgetting about the projectile vomiting? Scene? Remember, he so it was the beginning of their when the when the um, Nintendo gets run over by the car. Yes. When he they do the thing for the field trip, and that's how they stop the bus, and they get everyone distracted. Right. That kid eats SpaghettiOs because he's allergic to SpaghettiOs. Right. And he throws up all over the teacher and then he throws up in the car. And that's how Timmy failures. Excuse me. This is very burpy. The ale is like making me No, no, I remember now. It's just... I don't know. But this seems like that kind of movie. Yeah, it's a a very stringed out movie in the sense that like there's a lot happening but nothing happening at all. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's literally just getting you from set piece to set piece. And some of these set pieces kind of feel as though they're funny, uh-huh. but they're not at all. The the entire uh, scene with um, Keen's dad, uh, the, the the doctor who kind of leads the charge against video game violence, oh, where yeah, he's trying yeah, to do yeah. the the PowerPoint aspect, not the PowerPoint, but the uh, slideshow. Yeah, just doesn't work. Well, there's like an, there's too many. There's a couple of extra plot. There's points in here where you're just kind of like you could have if you could have taken that whole parents being against it thing out. Like, Timmy doesn't need another obstacle when he goes to the mall yeah. to get the thing. For sure. Because it's all, it's all an obstacle. And it's because it's, it's, it's trying to, I think, borrow a lot from a mediocre Christmas movie in A Christmas Story in that kind of, like, fashion of set pieces. Right. But Christmas Story set pieces, for as much as that movie is not that good, um, knows how to do it. Because, you know, it's made by Bob Clark, who starts out as a horror guy. So, right. like, you know, set, if you're a horror guy, you know your set pieces. Well, and that's... they all have value. I'm not sure yeah. all the set pieces have value in this. Like, when Timmy Failure loses... Or, Timmy Failure. When... Um, <laughs> Winslow. Jake loses his... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Winslow. Uh, when he... I just want to call him Timmy Failure. When he loses his sister. So, it's great when he's playing Nintendo, and then Nintendo... The it's huge like Nintendo is to speaking him. to him. And then he loses his sister, and that's like a kind of five minute scene where they're kind of like talking about losing his sister and yelling at him and they go outside blah blah but then he runs back in and then there's the retainer part and it's like I like the Nintendo I like the retainer the, the sister the part five is... minutes of like just kind of in between that it doesn't we seem worth it we don't even need 
Yeah, we don't need the sister being lost aspect of it. Right. Just, just have him like, like zoned out and his sister trying to talk at him while he's playing. And that's what the parents say, like, let's go. And it's like, look how zoned out you were. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised if you lost your retainer. Something. Yeah. It doesn't need to be this drawn. But that's the thing. There's these, there's these drawn out sequences where you're just kind of like, all right, yeah, that's good for world building and relationship building. And like it ends with a good joke. But I'm not sure it needed yeah, all it, the extra time to get there. Well, that's the thing. I, like, the reason I also say like this is disjointed because it is those kind of like fragments of scenes put together, which should work sometimes. And you get a really likable young cast. Um, I think and David the, Cross. Yeah, I think all of them are kind of hitting on their levels that they need to. Mm-hmm. But then, like, the thing that's really disjointed is, like, it tries to have this, like, emotional, like, clasp of an ending, I guess. I wouldn't yeah. say, like, a gut punch. Mm-hmm. But, like, a, oh, like, kind of like a togetherness of the father and whatnot who's now dead. Yeah, yeah, and I just, I'm just, like, sitting there going, like, no. Like, just have the dad be alive and, like, the fact that, like, we can end on the JJ thing and, like, that's their thing and whatnot. Like, that works enough. Like, I don't need, like, this weird, like, oh... Because it's, it's not building to that. No, it's, it's not. not. It was a surprise. Yeah. And it was, it, you know, I guess it worked as a dad who's like always trying to navigate the Christmas gift thing and like all this other shit. Um, I guess it, it worked on me on that level. But even then I was like, this is very cloying. And even then the thing that I was thinking was like, where's the sister? Like, why isn't, why didn't the sister show up for the first Christmas after the dad died? Is that not the sister? No, it's his wife. Who was other girl who wore his boots on the bus? Oh, yeah. So where's the sister? Huh. And that's the thing. I don't want to be asking these questions <laughs> no. in this movie. Just get a get a middle aged lady to come there's, in and be like, like, hold hands with him. <laughs> right? I gotta be honest. I thought that was his sister, and I thought part of the the plot because we're talking about it being a a, a a Christmas, the first Christmas after. I thought he had got divorced. No, that's what and I thought too. The kid was also, and like the dad had also died. Yeah, but and so I was like, "Oh, it's a really like that's why the daughter makes the notice of it being a particularly shitty Christmas." Right. And so I thought the woman the that had that the child, to the mom, was the sister no. who made jokes about nope. then getting it's his wife. Then where's the sister? That's what I'm saying. And why do they do all that stuff? That, that, why that, do they that, make that, us that, feel that like little it was kid actress? The sister's all fucking great too. Yes, like she really sells that. I character. actually think all these kids are great. Um, and that's, I mean, I guess we're spending too much time in this, and I guess we should move on. I guess all the time that they spend... If people, if people are still listening to this podcast at this point... I actually I wouldn't mind it. spending more time in this and less time on another movie. That's We'll get to that, I guess, as well. Um, if people are... If we're cutting stuff out of this, I mean, that there's like a really extended sequence. There's two extended sequences with that the one kid in town that has a Nintendo. And they're really funny, but they're also really, like... Just super long and yeah. drawn no, out. No, I don't and need. I don't need all. I don't. I, I don't need I don't, two of them. They do it twice. I mean, I mean, I don't really think. I think that's the one child performance. It's like still kind of like a child performance. But right. It's decent. And it's fine for what it is. Like I'm not shitting on Chandler Dean. <laughs> is that his name? Yeah, that's yeah. Oh, okay. That played uh, Timmy Keen. But like, I need like I need one of it for like it to work. The second time I see it. It starts not working. Well, just like get, only thing, the only part of that, that second part that works is like making the joke that the power glove sucked. Right, but like, give me the power glove first. You know, what I mean, you've established that Nintendo was the thing you really wanted. 
make him the reason that everyone's in yeah, line to just, get into his house just is to test out in, the power Don't bill. go into the basement the first time. Or who... Just, like, like this lineup and all that, and then maybe he doesn't get picked, but, like, everyone goes into the basement, and that, you know it's a thing, and then the second time with the power glove, right. that's when he gets in. We don't need two basement scenes. We don't need the Pop-Tart joke early on. We don't need a lot of, like, this yeah, kind of, so like, Yeah, so drawn out. Pop, who wants a Pop-Tart? I'm going to call my mom for a minute. Only I want a Pop-Tart. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this kid's an asshole. Yeah, we, we just got, saw we him got elect it, yeah. people to get into his house. You know what I mean? Like, it's fine. But, I mean, again, it ends with the, that whole thing with the second time ends with a cool joke with the dog getting crushed by the TV. Yeah. Like, the first, I mean, the first time it just doesn't have anything going on. Right. There's no, there's no legs. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think, I think this is a movie that could have been cut down still a little bit more. I could have taken, like, ten minutes less of it. I could have gotten rid of, like, the kind of fervent attempt at an emotional punch at the end. Mm-hmm. Could have done with a little more explanation about the fact that that's not his sister at the end. Yeah. Well, yeah, don't make it... Don't try to be clever. Like, it's... A, it's... Yeah, because I literally thought, like, the way they build it is yeah. divorce. I and now I'm too. realizing, oh, it was being clever that it's just the dad had just died. Well, in the fa- when, so when he gets on the bus at the end, like, when they're about to... He's like, oh, you can't go unless you wear your boots, which is, like, a dumb thing, too. And then he's just like, oh, I gotta put my boots on. And he's like, oh, hey, Kimmy Sorrentino. You know, or, like, because they said a couple times, like, Kimmy Sorrentino has these boots, too. Kimmy Sorrentino has these boots, too. And then he, like... So it's like, oh, Kimmy's. I didn't you see her on the bus? And she's like, I have those boots too. And he rolls his eyes. And at the end, he's like, right, Kimmy Sorrentino. <laughs> and you're supposed to all. put all these together. And you're just like, oh, he's married yeah. to Kimmy Sorrentino. I'm, I'm sorry, guys, but if or you Sorrento make, or whatever, if you make a movie of the eight bit Christmas level. You are not giving my full attention. You are a movie that's put on in the background while I'm doing something else. Right. Be happy with that. That's a perfectly sure. good thing. How but about this? If you're making a movie called 8-Bit Christmas, don't put a 16-bit plot in there. How about that? That's a good that's How a good about seg- that? That's a good segue. That's a good segue. <laughs> bam, 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 bam! Tom's on fire today. Uh, what's next? Humans? <laughs> humans. Let's see humans next. Can't you hire someone to... Cost 100 bucks a night to hire someone to make sure she doesn't fall. Hey, get her. No, she needs to think before she opens her mouth. Don't you think it should cost less to be alive? <laughs> Absolutely. There's this comic book I was obsessed with as a kid. It's about this species of half-alien, half-demon creatures. And the scary stories that they tell each other. Oh, my! are all about us, humans. I know you think there's something wrong with me. It's not a new thing. She still acts like a murderer, but I'm trying to apologize. You'll find someone new. You're going to come out of this stronger. I promise. Stop lying to me. Just stop. Don't actually stop. Anything I say makes her... Yeah. Who she remind you of? You. Me. You. It's you, my friend. I love that in times like this, I have a, a home base, a family I can always come home to. To knowing this is what matters, right here. Because everything anyone's got, the better we are. Everything you have goes. All right, we're changing beer directions here. Because we're, we're going... getting into like the three actual movies of the week, I guess. Right, and so this is not a weird um, beer, but it's Christmas. It's called Ho Ho Hope for the Kids. It's from Counterweight. It's an India Pale Ale, a 6.4. Um, it's based on their No Hope for the Kids. Right. Uh, 
Um, Switch up the dry hop, I guess. And donate the proceeds to charity. Oh, good. I'm, I'm assuming four children. We're saving the world. All right. Saving the fucking world. We're saving the cheerleader and saving the world. Oh, oh God, it's so counterweighty. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it is. Why do you make a 6.4% taste <laughs> it that, smells like smell that juicy? It's just so juicy smelling. Mmm. But more piney. It's very piney. Yeah. I, is there what does it say what's in this? Holy shit. Uh no. I I can look it up. But um no, it, it's yeah, it's Fuck. definitely <laughs> I mean I I really appreciate that because that on the front smells like that juicy New England IPA you would expect. Mm. Um and it doesn't end up going that way. No, so it I don't doesn't. I don't know what the dry hop isn't it? Okay, what's so dry hop with a blend of Columbus, Mosaic, and Simcoe. Simcoe can Occasionally, change that. In Columbus, you don't really see a lot of dry hopping. So, on, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I like it. I, we're we're always, I think, going to be at odds with this. Um, well, I love piney. I'm from California. I that, love piney beers. It's not even. I'm not even going to say the piney stuff. I mean counterweight. Me and counterweight just do not. We just do not get along. No. Well, I'm not a huge. I love spiral. The blue label spiral architect, but I'm not a big counterweight person. Oh, either. okay. No, this podcast has literally been partially avoiding counterweight. No, has been like I would I would say the number of sea hags that I've consumed during oh, this yeah. podcast has to be in the triple digits. Oh, together we just yeah, because New England is my that's my brewery. Well, sea hag is our is the is the jam. That's yeah. the local beer. I mean, if you're not drinking sea hag, well, headway is like the the other. But they're two different beers, and they serve two different flavor uh, tastes. Yeah, one of them's wrong, and one of them's right. Um, sea hag is cheaper, and you get more beer for it. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> and it's better. Anyway, we're talking about some fucking humans now. Okay, so the humans is a play by Stephen Karam. This is directorial debut. Directorial debut. He adapted his own play. It stars, um, well, I guess it's, you know, arguable. Um, Beanie Feldstein is Bridget. Um, she is dating, and she's moved into an a, a, a apartment with um, Richard, played by Stephen Yun, who I'm always so happy to see movies that Stephen Yun is in. Um, Impressive D-making him hot-ifying they did in this movie? Well, just one of those things where he's, yeah, they frumped him. But he's still Stephen Yun. Yeah. You know what I mean? So even when he's not doing Stephen Yun things, I'm just kind of like, He still fuck. carries himself like Stephen like, Yun. Yeah. When he like interrupts Richard Jenkins, who plays Eric, the dad of Beanie Feldstein's Bridget, a couple of times, it's like, oh, he's going for it. He's fucking getting it. And just, it's like the, the feeling you have when you watch him do stuff. You're just kind of like, oh, that fucking guy, he knows how, he knows what he's doing. So I'm, I'm happy we're going to have like years and years and years of Stephen Yun in our life. Why? Um, so anyway, um, Eric is married to Deidre, played by Jane Hootyshell, who we know from Only Murders in the Building. Oh, right. I still haven't finished it. She's very good in, in that. Um, she, I think she won a Tony, she won a Tony for Tony playing for this, this role yes. yeah, on, on Broadway. Uh, Amy Schumer comes in as Bridget's sister. Um, so like the other, the second daughter, the older daughter in um, the Blake clan. And June Squibb plays the grandmother character who um, yells some curse words um, and talks gibberish 
and um, remembers her prayers. Says a prayer, which is exactly like the prayer that we say at my grandmother's house. Which I always, always like. I don't know. I don't have a religion, but I was brought up in it. They're super Catholic. But when I hear that in movies, which I do sometimes, it always gives me like pause. It like connects me somehow. Got it. Even though I don't like believe in the words. Um, when I do, because like I'll say it. I don't know why I'm going on this tangent. I'll say it. Maybe it's because it's about family. Uh, I'll say it, and it doesn't connect me to the religion. It just collects me to co- it's a connects me to the people that aren't yeah. there anymore. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so like my you know my grandfather doesn't isn't at Thanksgivings and all this other stuff. So when we say it, it's kind of like here's a thing that connects us to doesn't matter. Um, no, no, that makes sense. I guess the, the the plot of this movie is that um, Thanksgiving, you know, uh, the Blakes have come from Scranton, PA to New York, where um, Queens, New York, or they just moved from Queens, and now they're in Manhattan? Is that what it is? I forget what it is. But um, Bridget and Richard have gotten an apartment in New York, and the Blakes have come from Scranton, PA, um, Amy from Philadelphia, but again from Pennsylvania, um, to celebrate Thanksgiving in their new apartment. Their new apartment has some lighting issues. It has some water issues. Um, there's some a bunch of family issues going around in the house. Um, spoiler alert. I'm not going to say anything of, of, of them here, but I'll give you a spoiler alert. I'm sure we will talk about them um, as uh, we discuss this film. Obviously, this is a play, so things come out as they do in plays. They skirt around things. They drop some hints. Things get kind of emotional at other points you know, at points, um, and it all comes to a head, you know, eventually, like all good plays do, um, you know, all the plot details that you needed to know are revealed. They're supposed, they're supposed to make you feel something about the people that you've just spent all this time with this production. I remember, um, I read the play, I didn't see it, but I know that the production is, is supposed to be interesting for the fact that it takes place on two levels. And so things that are happening on the things are happening simultaneously on both levels. Um, so you hear ambient sound from the bottom level when you're like focused on the top level, and, and kind of vice versa. Yeah. Um, so it's this kind of almost like a realist um, production. Um, I was actually very excited for this because I really liked. There was a period when I read a lot of plays. I read like ten plays in like a week because I was gonna write a play because I do this sometimes. Um, I'll think I'll have an idea for something and I was like first thing I need to do is read all the plays and I read a bunch of plays this is one of them and I really liked it on the page I thought it really worked this won the Tony for best play I think it won the Tony for best play I think it did got it nominated. a Pulitzer it got nominated for nominated Pulitzer, for Pulitzer yeah um, I don't I'm very so me and Mario have no idea what we think of these next couple of movies Okay, we didn't talk about it. I said very specifically that we shouldn't talk about it. This movie, even though I have a lot of affection for it, does not seem to work for me. Absolutely, I, that's that's fully. I think every directorial and I, actually, I want works gonna, for I'm, me. I'm gonna say I'm gonna just I want to say one thing and then I'm gonna back off because this I feel like when I was watching this I was like this is Mario's like with blocking and stuff like that. You're like obsessed with blocking. I was like, I almost don't want to just like clear out and let Mario just kind of riff on the fact that like everyone's in the wrong place all the time. But every directorial choice that is made in this movie is wrong. Yeah. Um, he, I, I, I appreciate a lot of what's going on here. Um, 
I think from a structural story and sound perspective. Sound, yeah. And kind of depth of level perspective, it's working. I would, I, I unfairly maybe compare this to like a, a trilogy of plays. Not really a trilogy of plays, but I, I would put this in a wheelhouse of two other plays mm. that kind of take place in the same very confined one space. Um, it's, I think all these plays are from the same like five or ten year period, mm-hmm. ten year period or so, and that would be this God of Carnage and Sunset Limited in mm. terms of story structure and general yeah. space of blocking. Mm-hmm. I agree, the blocking here doesn't work mm-hmm. at all because um, Stephen Karam goes and and I I respect the the, the choice for a four dimensional film. Yeah. He's, he's not blocking it like Lynn Mary Miranda did with Tick Tick Boom, where it's just like there's to movie. Yeah, this is this is a real attempt at a film, but you often get lost in your place. Well, it's a, it's a, it's an attempt at something different. It's an attempt at an adaptation where you're kind of and I'm not too familiar with the stage play to be honest. And I'm not really super familiar with it either, obviously, because I didn't see it, so I have no idea what anyone's doing. I know on there's stage. A, there's some sort of aspect of the ending of the play with a tunnel that I believe is kind of replicated here with oh, the door. Okay. Um, which that didn't work for me either. I mean, the idea, the whole last eleven minutes of this movie is unwatchable. No, it's 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 flat. Um, it's not interesting to look at. There's not. It's not dynamic enough. Well, that's the other thing too. And dynamic is a really good word um, because I know that that Mamo freakout at the end is supposed to be a big fucking deal, but she's not even on camera for most of it. So why are what is happening? Like why isn't she on camera? I don't get it. I don't get why some of this stuff is not being filmed, but like areas of the house are being filmed and, when like human interactions are not being filmed. And that's what I that's why I find extremely interesting in the fact that like one thing and one sort of view of this extremely works for me, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that was basically based on the familiarity with the performer. Because I think Jane Hootie Shell and all the moments with her, um, you know, playing Deidre, fucking work. Yeah. I mean, just staying on her with the food mm-hmm. and waiting for her to finish the food and just, like, leaving the shot there, that fucking works. Because she's doing top-tier work. And and I would say Jenkins is doing good. He's doing think... very Richard Jenkins-y Jenkins stuff. stuff. Yeah. And I feel really bad for him because when this... But I think, I think Richard Jenkins-y stuff is still It's still cool. great. But I think still he works. was better in Kajillionaire. I think... I feel bad for him because when this year started, he was just penciled in, like as winning his best supporting, winning his Oscar for best supporting actor. And I don't even think that's right because I think he's the lead actor in this movie. Oh, absolutely. this movie's about him, so that's some you know category fraud shit. But everyone was just kind of like Richard Jenkins, the human circle of this shit. And as you watch, as the year goes on and the, the more movies come out and more people saw the humans, everyone's kind of like. He's just kind of yeah. doing his thing, and that's what's a bu- that's kind of a bummer about this. Is I agree with that, but I really like, and, and I agree with you about this movie not working. I don't think the surrounding performances work extremely well. I, I think, think, well, but I want to talk about that. Because, yeah, but but yes. I, the one thing I want to like emphatically state, and yeah. it, this is penciled in, I think, in this category okay. easily for me. It's Jane Hudichel's great, fucking fantastic. But I want and just don't... like, but and maybe it's because like. All, all of it, the things that I'm like have okay. so much affection for and want yeah, to yeah. attach myself to are hers. And that's like the yes. one thing where it yes. sort of works. But here's so I'm going to attach what you just said to something that I think is a problem with this movie too is that I want to just spend more time with her. Because when she breaks down emotionally, it feels earned. 
But intellectually, at the, at the I dessert word. I intellectually, I can't place it in the context of the narrative, but yes. it feels emotionally consistent with where the story, with where her character is. Going. Yeah, where her character has been going, where she's been, like her performance choices, and visually, what like Stephen Karam is is doing too. But narrative, but narratively, I don't it's, get it. No, and I think part of the problem too is that like we don't get a close up of. Bridget until they they listen to her song which I thought was very clever that that's kind of like the the score you know what I mean that becomes mm. the score where they're sitting at the table and so I don't feel attached at all to her like she's just like a, like a non-person because we're 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 so far away from her all the time. Yeah, because and I don't get when it, I don't I don't get the impression that he filmed that scene as a payoff of being so far away from her all the time because all the choices leading up to that moment don't really amount to anything. Like, there's no reason we need to have a, a couple minute shot of of Amy wheeling Grandma down the hall. We don't need it, but we get it and putting her on the elevator. Um, there's all these kind of things. There's all these all these choices don't have any value, and so when he makes when he continues to make choices, you're just like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And Jane Hootyshell is the only person that like when he settles on her, and we're allowed to focus on her both as a like a character and her emotions. You're just like, yes, I get this, but I don't get like, but why do you leave her? I don't understand why we ever. I don't understand why we ever leave her for anything. I also don't understand why we keep putting her in these situations where she's like in a horror movie, like upstairs where she kind of like thinks she sees some stuff. Like, what is, is she? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, there's, why, there's, why? I, I, I think overall it. that doesn't work. Because I think the way in which he presents this kind of like level of suspense, suspense, but this level of unease, unease, this level of unease, this level of that's um, better, word, yeah. This synergy leads you to think that the entire time I'm watching this, I'm thinking Eric is sick with something mm-hmm. because of like his focus on seeing figures and his focus on seeing the snow and the drinking and whatnot leads you to believe that there's something yeah ill with him. Yep. And, and I think narratively that that follows with like focusing on Momo and, you know, focusing on her mental, you know, kind of fall. And then we're focusing a lot on the religion aspect narratively this makes sense with like her moment momo's moment of clarity being able to recite the prayer and watching deidre you know how she's kind of emoting and throughout those moments would lead me to be accepting of that mm-hmm. narrative turn yeah because like it it feels it all these moments feel as though they're random moments in time or they're they're moments of kind of horror and the unknown and that is building to the revelation of, of sickness and whatnot. Of something not significant. Build, yeah, not building to like, oh, there's going to be significant changes in my life because oh. I committed adultery. And which I is, work at a Home Depot now. Yeah, which is in the face of uh, Home Depot. I thought it was a Walmart. Walmart. Oh, you know, Walmart. Yeah, yeah. Which is in, in the face of kind of like this religious conflict we've kind of had and not earned. Like, because it just, it just doesn't – it's not significant in the end. Like the visual and sound – stimuli Mm -hmm. that's kind of being created by this film and the kind of like lingering shots on faces Mm -hmm. lead to something being monumentally big that's gonna happen and not just like a 
I fucked around with a T. Not even like I fucked around. Like I expected student. Like I yeah, expected like I'm something. I'm a janitor. Big. I fucked around with a teacher. Who cares? And I knew yeah. this going in. And that's part of the reason I felt like. Yeah, I didn't know it. Like I, I was right. building to like he's dying, or when I started expecting like a, a, an affair, I expected like he had sex with like a sixteen-year-old. I was reading a um um a friend's book, and that's the inciting incident um in the book is that so it's a YA novel, so it's the, from the perspective of a teenager, and her dad is a teacher at the school she um, attends, and and he may have had um, an inappropriate relationship with a student. And so it in- instantly feels heavy. You know what I mean? It just does. Yes. And you don't want to make light of this stuff. Um, but the way that this movie is shot and presented to us requires a depth that just had an affair with a, uh, an, a consenting adult. And now I work at a Walmart. Doesn't... Doesn't yeah. break, it doesn't it's not earned like it doesn't it doesn't serve the the doesn't serve the atmosphere or any of the motifs the visual motifs that were laid down going like in the beginning of the the movie well and that's why what i find interesting to say this too is is the the choice of cinematographer mm. might have not been the best like doing Lowell crowley for this yeah. film because he's known for stark angles and cold like look at vox lux look at you know, childhood of a leader. Well, sure. You look at some of the stuff he's doing with Devil all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's a real stark contrast. Which one's Devil all the time? Devil all the time was the shitty Tom Holland, um, Dan, uh, Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson film from last year. Jason Clark, Netflix. It was based. Oh upon yeah, but the, even that movie had like some but, weight to it. But no, like, they crucified stark, a but, dog. But I mean, like, why I meant like the colorations of stark lines. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and very deep shadows, and like Lil Crowley always carries like a coldness to his. But they things. tried like, to earn some looks, of that stuff narratively. Yeah, no. What I'm saying is like that's his visual style. Yeah, and that's all on display here. Like that visual. Yeah, foot, absolutely. Top, like footprint is all on this. Like, that part of it looks like it's cold as fuck. And it also doesn't make any way, sense because of the way it's shot. Yeah. And so there's like this impending sense of doom and death, and it just ends up about being an affair. And you're like, everything narratively here is not connecting. This is not connecting dots. Right. Like where you look at like, like God of Carnage, I think sucks overall. Like I don't think it's a great play. I think there's not a lot going on. Keep talking. Um, I'm just gonna get up and get a pen. Yeah, there's not like a lot going on with it, and the block, but the blocking of it is like closed off enough to where that's fine. The blocking in Sunset Limited um, is the same, but like there's a deeper level of of dialogue and depth going on there, and so in those moments where kind of like it's blocked, like I don't want to say blocked, not necessarily blocked. I'm talking more like the miniseries version of it, the um, the limited movie HBO one. With Tommy Lee Jones and Samuel Jackson, like the way that they choose shot composition there, really works to kind of sell that. Here, there's just a lot going on visually, for not a lot going on narratively. Well, so I got a um, a screener of um, Mass for um, from Film Independent. Um, That's the endowed Jason Isaacs Martha Plimpton movie. it's just four people in a room talking about like school shooting stuff. Um, again, it's another one of those movies where like everyone just assumed Ann Dowd was going to win an Oscar, and she's just kind of like going off. Of, uh, That's what happens to Ann Dowd all the time, except for when she's 
in Handmaid's Tale, and she just keeps winning like best supporting oh. actress. But I remember like <laughs> Emmys. With, I remember early on when Compliance was coming out, people were like shooing her. Sure, yeah, I actress. remember that too. Um, that movie does an interesting thing, and I don't think it's a great movie, but it's a very affecting movie. And I don't think End Out is great, and I think Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton are actually like the the standouts in mass. In mass yeah, um, but they do the thing where they don't try very hard. It's literally just four people in a room sitting at a table and they get up and they do some stuff and... It's like what Polanski did with God of, with Carnage. Right, right, right. And, uh, and it makes that sense piece because... piece of shit, Polanski. Right. Bad. Well, I think he thought it was be, he was being transgressive. I think he's forgotten what is transgressive. Um, it makes sense. It's consistent with the script. And you don't... You kind of wish by the end of it that like they had done some like a little bit more because there's just like a there's a lot of just like people just kind of sitting in in chairs just kind of like emoting with like their elbows on the table and like hands in front of them and stuff like that. But this is too much. It's too it's too choicey. Like you feel the presence of every choice. It's like reading a novel and you know, you can feel the author kind of like dictating like where the story is going to go and what's going to happen next, and like maybe even commenting on some stuff. Um, Mass doesn't have that because it's just four people in a room, so the script is just the script rule. The script and the performance rules all. That's not the case here. This is the director rules all, but there's only f- six characters in here, and they're just talking. They're not even doing anything, so I'm not sure why anybody made. I'm not sure why he made any of the decisions that he made in the same... So God of Carnage is kind of the same thing where it's just like it's just these four people and how they... Actually, the movie that we're going to talk about today um, um, is kind of the same thing. It's not a play, but it's like it takes place in this very contained space and it has these characters um, and how does how do they interact in that space? I feel like in this, nobody's interacting in the space. They're like fighting the space. And like, my question is why? And it feels why like are they fighting the space? I don't get it. Who cares? Because the director, he wants, he wants him to. And like, it just, it, it doesn't feel earned. And it's unfortunate because like I said, it feels like we're shitting on this movie, but I have affection for this movie. I think it's, it's doing a lot of good work. I think most of the performances in it are pretty solid. Uh, Amy Schumer's fine. Actually, thought I Amy Schumer's pretty good. I think, she's, I think she's pretty good, but I think her and Beanie Feldstein are kind of like... I can't really actually discredit Beanie Feldstein because she's not given anything to do. Her character fucking stinks. Yeah, she's just and she's not given anything to really do. So and it's not know. justified, and I, um, I bother. It bugs the shit out of me. But it kind of feels like Amy has a character... Um, with Amy Schumer before it's just not given a lot to do so you kind of like and that's the thing like it's hard to judge the merit of some of these performances when those characters weirdly enough feel so paper thin yeah and yeah it's just it's a really disjointed thing but everyone's trying their best visually it's trying something it's trying something yeah yeah Um, I just think overall it just doesn't work yeah, and a bum, outside actually, of one, outside of one performance, it made me, um, it made me kind of sad because it was a movie that I was not like, it wasn't on my list of movies that I was like, you know, looking forward to because I actually didn't even know it was coming out. But when I saw that it was coming out, I was like, yes, this is gonna be awesome. I found it funny. You cool. thought I was gonna like fucking lose my mind over it. No, I actually I had no idea because it was so weird. The choices were so mm. weird. Oh, I thought you were gonna kill the blocking. I just assumed you were gonna oh, okay. hate the blocking. 
um, because no one's in the no one's in the right spot ever. Yeah, and I know it's done on purpose, but I just assumed you were just going to be like, which you did, which is like this was wrong. Yeah, it just it does feel everything about it. <laughs> you does did it wrong. Feel just I don't know. I don't want to describe. I don't want to say it's bad. It's just it's just it's, it's not it's, bad. It's, it's it's it was an experiment with the medium that doesn't work. Well, we say that a lot, and I know they say that a lot on film podcasts too. They're like, that didn't work for me. That didn't work for me. And I'm, sometimes I'm just kind of like, just say you didn't like it, or just say it was bad. Say a shitty movie yeah. was no good. Like. This is not a shitty movie. No, but it's it doesn't. Just, all the choices that were made don't work. I and I would argue, I would argue almost that the choices. I, I can't see a world in which the choices do work for somebody because I think overall there's always going to be this disconnection with narrative intent and what you're seeing on the screen. Well, and the, I think the it's one of those things, and this is like a weird phenomenon that happens sometimes where the the Rotten Tomatoes like Metacritic audience score kind of all line up, where people are just kind of like. Okay, like perf- good performances, not a great movie, but well made for like its incorrectness, like yeah. incorrectly well made. Um, I don't think the same thing can be said about our next movie, Mario. This was, I don't know. Um, it's <laughs> Pablo Lorraine's uh, new movie, which is apparently a thing. Like he does he matter? Like as an people indie lost filmmaker? their shit over Jackie, right? I guess. I don't know. It's uh, Spencer. They're getting quite serious about you. So stand very still and smile a lot. They know everything. They don't. Mummy, what happened to make you so sad? Well, here. In this house, there is no future. Past and the present are the same thing. Diana, they can't change. You have to change. You have to be able to do things you hate. You hate? There has to be two of you. There's the real one (laughs) and the one they take pictures of. Diana, for the good of the country. For the country. So this movie... um, Centers us. It's ten years, right after they got married, the marriage of Charles yeah, it's and Diana. Like Ninety-one. It's basically been a decade. So Williams ten-ish. Doesn't matter. I guess doesn't matter. It's a royal family. It's right before the whole thing kind of blows up there. So Diana. Not, not the not the limo. No, not the limo. Keep Although I, the idea that it's framed as a, a fable based on a tragedy, it's like, come on, man. Who cares? Come on. I mean, I, I, I'll say this. Pre like we're breaking all of our pre, review rules, but here. to like preamble everything. Yeah, I don't give a fuck about the royal family nope. or Diana or anything. Did so like the movie kind of does base itself around the fact that you do care about Diana absolutely a lot. And I was just like, oh, that was that person who was famous who died in a tunnel. Who? Yeah, I feel bad. For, it's one of those things represents where, like, all the bad things. The about tragedy has inequality. nothing to do with the royal family. It has everything to do with the fact that like a mother died. Like, and this movie could give two shits about Diana's kids, like at all, um, because it's funny because Diana could give two scenes, shits about her kids. One of the scenes that works in this movie is that scene, right? Except for the fact that she's Kristen Stewart as Diana is doing. 
Something. Is doing very what she perceives to be Diana things, like all over her kids. Um, but she's gone to, um, you know, the royal family's, I guess, winter mansion or castle or whatever. Yeah, What's it called? Sandingham. Sand? Oh, Sandingham. Sandringham. Yeah. Sandringham. Is um, I don't know, for Christmas, and she's been a bunch of. She's been there a bunch of times, and 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 uh, just this one time, she's decided she's gonna drive herself and. Uh, she's gonna not wear the clothes that have been well, laid out for. Her. The she's marriage gonna... is, you know, shaky at this point. The marriage is shaky because Charles has been banging Camilla Bowles, which I, is a thing that I know. Um, and yeah, and I don't give a fuck. Who no. fucking cares? Yeah, this movie. I is start a big bag of who gives a shit. When I saw. <laughs> Oh, I wish we were still doing this podcast. I could title these episodes because a big bag of who gives a shit. It's I mean, like, you could. I mean, who, who cares? I just kind of want every time Timothy Spall was on Z, on camera, I was just like, why can't Timothy Spall just be yelling at Kristen Stewart like all the time? Every time I saw Sean Harris on screen, I was like, man, I can't wait for another Mission Impossible movie. Well, Literally, that was. And I think like I liked you know I really liked the Fallout, but like the fact that like during this attempt at a prestige film i was like man sean harrison more mission impossible films is gonna be pretty good even that's a bad thing mario here's the thing sally hawkins who is just great yeah and she's, and she's good in this no she's when i saw in she's fine in it i guess but when i saw her character like every time she comes on screen i just went like this to the character stop it stop it because the second Diana shows up, she's like in tears. She has that like really profound conversation with her in like the first quarter of the movie. And she's like whispering to her about like how she has to be who she is and all this stuff. I was just like, stop it. Well, this Fucking is, stop. This is the moment. Cut it out. This is the moment where we say this. Stephen Knight is a fucking terrible screenwriter. Oh my God. He wrote one okay screenplay in his history. Which is what? Eastern Promises. That, yeah, but, but that's, that's not even that's, a great screenplay. That's an okay screenplay right. elevated by its direction and performances. Yeah. But, you know, everything since... This guy wrote fucking Serenity, the Matthew McConaughey movie yeah. that turns out to be in a video game. Mm-hmm. He wrote that? that, that yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, this This is that. This is just more of that. Like, there's... These moments where Anne Boleyn pops in, you're supposed to have what some level. What is that level. about, Mario? Nothing. What it's is about that about? Nothing. Are they gonna? Anne Boleyn got her head cut off. There was never a point where she was gonna get her head cut off. No, it's enough. It's I remember. Enough. I Fuck remember. You. I remember this part of history. Everyone was on Diana's side. Listen. At this point. All right. I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I'm talking over you. I wanted to say something here. I under- but you remember this? Yeah. Di- everyone Listen, was on Diana's side. I under fucking stand that she's. Died and she died horrifically and she died for no reason. I Which fucking so, get it. So many people okay? died for no reason. In 1991, Did she was just a, foil, no a spoiled fucking brat who was just like, uh, according to this movie, okay? I'm not even saying in real life. According to this movie, she was just this big fucking baby who's just like, I don't want to do, I don't want to wear the dresses that I'm told to wear. That makes me need wanting pearls. It's like, I, fuck you. What I are would, you talking I would, about? I would argue with you right now about like, maybe you shouldn't do that bad accent. But like Kristen Stewart is, is, is doing Mario. something. 
Why does she keep throwing her head? Every, every line she delivers. Was Diana this fey that every time anyone said anything to her, she was just like, and like near, was she near tears and like just and that's, frustrated that's, all the time? Yeah, there's there's so much like shoulder acting. Oh and I think Kristen God. Stewart is a pretty good actress. Not like, in this. She's she's good in like personal shopper and whatnot. Yeah. But like and um Charlie's Angels. No, you know I talk about that. Uh Clouds of Saint um, Clouds of Sils Maria, yeah. Yeah. Like she's good in those, but uh, she's doing so much like shoulder stuff that's not working. She stinks in this. Oh, she stinks. There's I literally only like Sean Harris in this. And that's just because it's Sean Harris doing his mumble thing. And, like, it it could easily be a terrible performance. But, like, I am sold on the Sean Harris, like, mumble thing. I liked – the only person I liked in this movie was Timothy Spall because it seemed I think like – that's kind of like a cheat code. To, it's, it's right. Like, but it's the things that he was saying, the bullshit things that he was saying, it seemed like his character really believed Oh, him. for sure. And, like, it made me hate him, which I'm supposed to, right? I'm supposed to but, hate the guy that, like, is preaching, like, tradition don't. only. You know what I – do I don't hate him though is because the one moment that's emotionally earned in this is when he's talking about like his friend dying, his friend dying, like on the steps, and yeah. then he just says like it's just the oath, just the oath, blah blah blah, and it's yeah. like oh that's a shitty thing to believe in, but like if you're capitulated, if you're if you're right. brought up in this sort of like bullshit idea of, of patriotism, yeah, I get it, and now I feel bad for you, and I'm like yeah, she's being a fucking brat. And like, oh, this movie's so frustrating, and it's so frustratingly bland looking. Oh, it's awful. It's and the Johnny Greenwood score stinks. What's with all the trumpets? This, Why does this, he think he's Miles Davis all of a sudden? Because I think he was like pissed off about Atticus, I mean, Ross, Atticus Ross winning for a listen, soul or something. Mario, we're going to talk about, I don't know where the odds are for score. I'm assuming he's going to win this year, no. unless Hans Zimmer wins for I Dune. No, no, it's um, somebody else is, is built up right now, number one. But keep talking. Um, the trumpets make no sense. What is why? What is this? Like, is this a sixties jazz? Like, no. is this nineteen sixties jazz? What's club? interesting like, what is, is, what's is I listen to the score independently of the film, and it's actually fun. Of it's course a, it a really cool score, but it, it doesn't fit this fucking. Well, Johnny movie. Greenwood is. I mean, to me, is a cl- is a classic non-film composer composer because and I've said it a million times. The Oh, it is a uh, it is Dune that's favored right now. Right, of course. It Johnny is. Greenwood's number two, and I think he could pull but it. But Johnny Greenwood's not number two for this. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. I think he could pull it out. Uh, maybe, it, yeah. maybe. It would actually be one of those things where if like certain things start to happen, like from like it doesn't well, matter. if you if you have a problem with Johnny Greenwood scoring the next film, then we, we will we will have a disagreement. No, no, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> Johnny, you know, just to wrap, I, just to talk about Johnny Greenwood here, the Phantom Thread score for me works better as an album than it does as a score because I think the score dominates the movie too much. And I, and I think I, I obviously no, I gonna, think that's I think that's intentional. And I think they're I think they're I think both are great things. I think it's telling the fact that the score, if you buy the album, is sequenced not in order. It's sequenced as an album. It's not sequenced as, mm, right. like, yeah. this scene and then this scene and this scene and this scene. He resequenced it. Um, Great album, in, though. In, oh, it's fantastic. In the context of this movie, it makes no fucking oh, no. sense. But not, everything about this movie is so discordant, jarring, nonsensical, dull. But that's so... Here's the thing about... So this we, movie is literally an hour and 50 minutes, maybe? Oh, my God. It was and so, it feels Mario. like... I'm going to be honest. Two and a half hour long. I got to be honest with the listeners. I turned it off, you said, after an hour and 11 minutes. After the stairs conversation, I was just like, 
my kid was homesick. Um, uh, well, I had, we had I, actually had issues watching this, and I'll say why we had issues yeah, watching yeah. this. Um, I had uh, it's, it's finals week, so I'm like grading paper. I'm like running into the other room to grade papers. Oh, you're not done with that yet? No, this, is, was, this is the I end. I thought that was last week. Um, or I'm reading drafts because everything's due tonight. Um, at some point after the stairs conversation, I was just like, fuck you. Like, no one's giving me anything. And I think and the last thing I want to say is that, like, Jackie was the same thing. But at least Jackie had the presence of, one, a national tragedy in the context of the film. Like, so it happened in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And Natalie Portman was doing something fucking crazy. And in that, in her craziness, she earned her Jackie Onessisness. In the sense that she was really going for it. This movie, a, na- a tragedy has not happened. Not a national tragedy, just a regular person's tragedy has not happened. And Kristen Stewart is not doing anything. She's doing a bad British accent. Yeah, we want to throw this movie on her shoulders and she just can't. She has to throw this movie on her shoulders because but this is not, not a movie. She's not, yeah, nothing's happened. There's nothing right. happening in this. She is falling down the, the actress prediction list so we got that going for well us. we'll see we'll see when being the ricardos actually comes out that's well, friday right in well it's in theaters but then the 21st and on amazon yeah. which is good which i'm happy about because the aaron sorkin directed movie which means it's gonna fucking stink i still love how france or not francis uh jessica chastain is like hanging out like right outside the top five i know i feel for the eyes bad of for her. <laughs> well, she might sneak one in there. Oh, she might. But it's just so funny that movie's like gonna so critically like. Well, maligned. you know why it's gonna happen because she's gonna get a SAG nomination for scenes from a marriage, mm. so she'll be in the minds of people, and they'll just assume that she did good work in both things. So get, Parallel Mothers isn't available anywhere yet, right? No, it might be a 2022 movie for us because Netflix picked it up in Latin America, but not in America. Uh. It. So it might be a while before it comes out. So that and um, Nitram are like the two movies that I'm kind of... That's the Judy Davis, Caleb Landry Jones, Australian mm. like mass murderer movie. Got like it. this is why this guy became a mass murderer thing. still not familiar with that one. Um, I think it debuted at Venice or Cannes. And he, uh, Caleb Landry Jones won like a European film award in, at Venice or Cannes. I don't remember which no. one it is. For best actor. For it. Um, but those two movies may be 2022 movies. That are probably good performances, unlike what Kristen Stewart is doing here. She stinks. And if she wins the Best Actress Oscar, I'm going to go crazy. I won't. I'll just be like, whatever. Well, I'm, I'm happy that all these... Francis McDormand won it last year. Right. So I'm, I'm happy, already I guess, like, that all these 30-somethings have their Oscars, like, so we never have to talk about them again. But like, I don't even know what Saoirse Ronan did this year. I don't think she did anything this year. Well, Let's just give her a retrospective Oscar for Little Women. Or Lady Bird, please, instead of giving like one of these performances thus far that I've seen an Oscar for, or that are on the list of people that should win, um, or that are like you know gonna win. Well, we haven't seen any of like the big top tens yet, to be fair. No, but like well, Jennifer, besides Kristen Stewart, Jennifer Hudson already has an Oscar, so she's out. Frances McDormand already has an Oscar, so she's out. Like, what's the point? Who cares? Penelope Cruz has an Oscar. Penelope Cruz has an Olivia Oscar. Olivia Coleman has an Oscar. Absolutely, and I love Penelope Cruz, and I'm so looking forward to Parallel Mothers. But like, you know. Let's just give one think, to Saoirse Ronan for nothing. I think, I think Lost Daughter is going to work for me. I'm sure it will. Maggie Gyllenhaal doesn't give any fucks about anything, which yeah. means that the movie's going to hit hard. And it's got just yeah, it's, it's going it. to be Kindergarten Teacher with like a budget. Kindergarten Teacher was awful. Yeah, but it's it, what I mean is like there's going to be 
I think that with like a bigger budget, not giving and a fuck less could work. floor office sex, which would be great. Remember when her and Gabrielle Garcia Grinnell oh, just like right, have sex right. on yeah, his yeah, office yeah, floor, yeah. and you're just kind of like, what? Because of kids' poetry, <laughs> you know, Netflix will do that to you. Netflix will do that to you, Mario. And it is time. Is it already it's the, time? It's the annual time of year by which we look at Netflix's. Big Oscar tentpole. Is this? Wait, Let's we don't see. have any more movies. No, this is this. Is oh it. man, oh, how about another movie? No, it's it was Spencer the Humans, Eight Bit Christmas. It was going to be Boiling Point, but we ended up watching Boiling Point. I did watch it. Oh, I, I watched both of them. Then watch it. Watch it. The short and the feature. Next time. Yeah, that was on. I didn't know when you wanted to record next time, but if if you wanted to record, I, mean, I don't know. We'll talk about this out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's well. I don't know if I'm going to cut it out. We want to. We really want to watch Boiling Point. Yeah, because if we were going to do an episode, if we were going to record an episode next week, since there's not a lot of stuff coming out besides one movie next week. Yeah. My suggestion was going to be Boiling Point and Undyne. I was going to Undyne? Undyne is a Christian pet's little. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's going to be my suggestion. Like but those... what's our next movie, Mario? Oh well, the big Oscar Oscar tentpole for Netflix, right? Like this is this is, it. This is bigger than Don't Look Now, Don't Look Up. I think they I think they hope that called. Don't Look Up can sneak in and grab a, a something, uh, grab a, grab some noms. I think they would just want some yeah. noms out of Don't Look Up. Yeah, but they they are expecting everything on this. Yeah, and tick, that tick, is boom. Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog. <laughs> I wonder what little lady made these. I did, sir. <laughs> well, Brother Phil? Open up the gate, let him out. You sure he's not ready? Go on, let him out. It's just a man, Peter. Only another man. <laughs> a man was made by patience and the odds against him. For what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother? not save her sort of a lonesome place out here Pete unless you get in the swing of things Power of the Dog is Netflix's tentpole, as I said, in in the wake of Mank, an Irishman, and um, Roma. Roma. It's it is, different. It is their it is their big one. Yep. I would say this is is more on the level of it's a Roma esque. You know, Roma esque. Uh, it is Jane Campion's newest movie. Uh, this is her first movie since Bright Star. Bright yeah. Star. Twelve years. A movie I I don't really remember. I remember seeing it. No, I didn't remember seeing it. I didn't see it. Um, but also she did The Piano, which I 
not famously, because I've never talked about this podcast, but I'm famously insanely indifferent to. Mm. Is that movie that just I think exists. I am too, yeah. Um, it just fine. is. It's fine. No, you get... I don't get it. I was too, But I was too young to get it, and now I'm too old to get it. Oh, you think that's like an age thing? Like a... No, not an age thing. I think it's one of those things where like in the moment it felt really... It felt like something significant, but I've gone back to other Jane Campion things. Like I thought Top of the Lake was really, really good. Um, and there's another movie that was I, I had on Criterion. I forget that. I, I always forget the fucking name of it. What? Well, I guess that's the thing. Like, well, and, I've never seen Top Top of the Lake. Wait, Top of the Lake was is that the Elizabeth Moss? Show? Yeah. Oh, she did that. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty. That was, that was so that's what she she hasn't been doing nothing like, for twelve years. But like, Holy Smoke, people love Holy Smoke, and I find it to be fine. And like, that's my thing with Jane Campion, is my history of Jane Campion for as like lauded as she is, and she has a very visual stamp. And Angel at My Table is yeah. the one that I'm just kind of, which is like a biographical film, but um, that's the it's criterion. It's a great criterion. But disc yeah. Like my history, Jane Campion's always been kind of like in indifference. I guess mm-hmm. I think she's really talented, but I've never been like stoked on her. So this was coming into it like another kind of feeling of like, oh, this is going to be Netflix doing their thing where they give someone full unleashed chain and it's not going to work. Um, we're in 1920s Montana, mm-hmm. and Benedict Cumberbatch playing Phil is the kind of domineering brother. Of the Burbank estate where they're raising cattle. Um, I do like to think of it as just Benedict Cumberbatch, though. I do too. Not as Phil, just as as dirty Benedict Cumberbatch. But, you know, he's doing it with his kind of dim-witted-ish brother. uh, His brother who could not do successfully in the Ivy League. um, Played by, you know, Jesse Plemings. Once again, playing a character who gets shitted on for the entire movie. Uh... And eventually, George comes enamored with a widow, Kirsten Dunst, playing Rose, and Phil's pretty unhappy about that. Shit happens. Phil also... Are we um, doing spoiler-free? No. Okay. There's, there's, it's obvious spoilers. Okay. It's not getting what's going to happen. Phil's... Uh, clearly, both Phil and George have been kind of like pushed to the side by their wealthy parents. Mm-hmm. Their wealthy... Tr- my parents. Uh, George, because he's seen as dim-witted and mm-hmm. Phil because we can reassume he's a closeted homosexual. Something happened. Yeah. Uh, he's obsessed with... Um, Bronco Henry. Bronco Henry. Uh, and kind of takes on an affinity for Peter, mm-hmm. uh, played by Cody Smith-McPhee, where I had a fucking moment of existential dread where I realized Cody Smith-McPhee's 25 now. I was like, oh, this 18-year-old kid. <laughs> I was like, oh, the road was uh, 12 years ago when he was 13. Oh, my right. God. Um, That's right. I forgot he was a kid in the road. Yeah. Phil takes on uh, takes on Peter um, as kind of his... He becomes Bronco Henry to, to, to his, Peter. Peter's yeah. Phil. While also treating uh, Rose, Peter's mother, like shit. Um, that leads to Rose starting to take up the bottle, which killed Peter's parents uh kills peter's father and you know things kind of escalate from there that's all i'll say for this because um yeah going into this i i didn't expect a lot i i, I expected it to be thoroughly bored and thoroughly uninterested mm-hmm. i leave it 
feeling as though I saw an extremely well-made, mm-hmm. tightly crafted movie that has control in every single area. Uh-huh. But I end up feeling still emotionally distant from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ends up feeling like an, a really oppressive art piece. And this has always been my problem with Jane Campion stuff. is like mm-hmm. I can't get emotion. I, there's something about it. There's, there's this real tight clinical control over everything that kind of exudes throughout this film that that penetrates all of this movie Mm -hmm. that everything has such such deliberation from your long angled drone shots sure coming in over the land that it feels in a way i don't want to say necessarily um lacking uh pathos Uh but it's lacking something that makes me feel as though there's an emotional closeness. It mm. feels very sterile. Mm-hmm. But that would sound like a criticism. I still think on every level this film is working. I feel like we just had a conversation about this or like this about a film. And I don't remember which one it is where we just kind of liked everything that was happening. But we were just kind of like, it's good. I, I what feel, was the move? Ah, I don't remember movie? what it is off the top of my head. But I feel like that's been kind of like a prevalent opinion we've had so this year why do you think where is the sterility before i kind of jump in where is the sterility in your mind coming from is it just like too controlled here yeah here it's too controlled it's very deliberate um everything feels really tight it's a longer film where there's legitimately not a lot going on right but it's paced extremely well uh-huh and i think everything I think so is, too everything is operating at such a tight level and easily from a netflix perspective the best looking movie netflix has ever put out i know i kind of want to i wish this I, was the first netflix movie i saw where i was like i would have preferred to see this in a the theater even Roma, which I think we, I think Roma was another one of those things where, like, technically this movie is perfect, but like, I feel nothing. Um, Roma, I didn't necessarily want to see in theaters because I thought I got it. I thought that seeing this movie in theaters might add, like, a little, like a, like a yeah. touch of something. Um, there's a, there's a real depth to bland colors in this and i think ari wegner the cinematographer this is just fucking and she's right. done almost nothing before this uh-huh. she but like lady Macbeth, i think is probably her best example mm. of like a real visual style yep and that movie has a lot of kind of like bland colors and kind of normalistic uh naturalistic kind of set like set production design mm-hmm. that she was able to add a lot of depth and lighting to like um in terms of the 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 shadows and in terms of like kind of the depth of perspective in that, mm-hmm. like she continues to do, and this mm-hmm. is for me easily like the, the one of the tops in terms of cinematography for the year. Yeah, um, I don't even know if this is like this has to be it. Is this like big on the contention right now? Or? I think it's number one. Is it? I, I think I, these I, are I figured Dune. this are Dune or yeah. Tragedy Macbeth is probably gonna pop up. Soon. Right. I think it's those those three. Um. Um. Yeah, and that's like. But that's the thing. I think like everything here is working so in such close synergy. And usually, I, I I don't like what Benedict Cumberbatch is doing, but here it works because here I think Jane Campion's like putting a bit of a kombosh on his expand. Like he wants to be an expansive actor, mm. and I feel as though Jane Campion's like, "Fuck no, you're not doing that." She's doing what she kind of like felt like she did with Harvey Keitel in the piano, where she's like kind of <laughs> limiting the performance. 
right? Yeah. And, and that's why I, I think she's fucking masterful. I think this is masterful direction. But I feel as though she's like Nathaniel Hawthorne to me. I think mm. Nathaniel Hawthorne was a tremendous writer, but he has such control on his work. Yeah, it almost that it ends up feeling. I end up feeling like that's an impressive technical piece of artistry. Uh, yep, but it's not something I connect to in any way. I, I agree with you on the. I think the Hawthorne thing is really interesting, um, and I also kind of agree with you on like every other um, aspect of this. I feel like it is very tightly controlled. I thought um, almost a little. Almost a little too much. The scenes almost seem like... It almost seems like too perfectly edited. Mm, absolutely. Like it seems like there's not enough I want to hang sometimes. I want like a little bit of loose quality to it to kind of... Um, Do you feel as though... Just really quickly. Yeah. Before, yeah. before while I frame it, while, you're, while you continue. Do you feel as though you can't help but compare this to another film? Which is? From 2007. This is seven. Oh, yeah, a little bit. But in terms of like how the narrative forms itself, like in other words, in that one, if Daniel Plainview loses because <laughs> he's an idiot. He doesn't lose, he wins. No, but I mean like this is, no, in Power of the Dog? No, I'm saying oh, Daniel, Daniel Plainview, Plainview wins. Yeah, in There Will Be Blood. Right. But in this, it's if Daniel Plainview loses. Oh, I see what you mean. Um no, because Dan, in, it's interesting because in Daniel, because so this is where I think the movie is. So this movie, I think about this movie on two levels. The first level is that it's it's literally perfect, and I think from I think your example of the Daniel Playview thing is really interesting because I think one of the ways that this movie works is that it frames Phil as smarter than everybody, but he was able to fall for um, Peter. uh, Peter's bullshit. Spoiler alert, because emotionally some he was he's stunted or he's stupid or he's the slow vulnerable. one vulnerable whatever emotionally he's not on the level of everybody else okay so he was able to be or, or not as perfect of a machination Maybe. of what he wants to be that peter because peter like in this is controlling everyone controlling all absolutely but again, and peter is one of those peter's going to go if you think of it in, in the context of like the film you can see Peter at Yale or Peter at Harvard doing very well, but he also has this emotional control that he's able to use to his advantage to get Phil to do what he wants, which is different than Phil. And this is why this movie is so good um, in this context. is It's different from Phil in the sense that like Phil's using this specific emotional control, which is like belittlement and threats and whatever in myth with like the Bronco Henry stuff to control these his the people in his life and he can't control George his parents are kind of turned off by him the governor and his wife kind of view him as like a freak show you know what I mean so he's not held up and that's just how Keith Carradine sees everything right. but he's not which I thought that seems really good he's not held up in the way that I think he thinks that he is held up he's more of like this, and this, this where this why the script is really good is that he's held up as this kind of like example of, um, which is very modern, which is very relevant to today. Of this kind of like, it's, he's almost like the first hipster, you know what I mean? Where he's chosen to live this life because it 
fulfills him in some kind of way. It's easy. It's simple. It's it's off the beaten path, and everyone else is trying to go one way, and he's going to go this other way, and he's better for it. He's done all the stuff that he they did. He did more of it, and he's chosen to live this simple life. Um, where Peter's like a more perfect union of of all of Phil's ideals. You know what I mean? He is emotionally present and in, intelligent, and also intellectually like far beyond whatever. Phil wants to do. Yeah, and that's, I mean? and that's what's like, like is so impressive in many moments of this film, but at the same time almost seems to be like an emotional disservice to the rawness you want with this kind of story. Which is exactly where I, I wanted to Which go. It just, it lacks a rawness because I think it's perfectly captured with like those two scenes with the rabbit, mm. <laughs> like where he shows, like Peter shows the vulnerability that he has emotionally with Rose and immediately follows it up by just dissecting that Absolutely. rabbit. Absolutely. Not and, even that. You know, Lola just comes in and Thompson McKenzie well, doing doing another vocal choice. I just love how every performance what? she's doing, she's like, I'm going to do a new voice for this movie. I really held off looking up is that Thomas and McKenzie for a long time because I was like I was like staring at the screen like <laughs> is it and I was like why is she doing this? Like how could she be like the lead in Last Night in Soho in like the seventh actor in like well this, I think this is mate she's a New Zealand she's a Kiwi actress right? yeah yeah and this absolutely. was made in New Zealand sure um, but it's still one of those things where I just been, like I assume it had to have been made probably before she like started well and just working it. with Jane Campion like so Thomas yeah. and Mackenzie got to work with Jane Campion you know what I mean yeah. um, that's why noted uh, screen auteur Keith Carradine is, is just playing a two scene governor absolutely and which is one of the reasons I'm actually kind of surprised that um Nick Cage, or Nick Cage, Nick Cave didn't get a call because he's not New Zealand, but he is like he's Australian. He's right? Australian. His his um, John Hillcoat stuff seemed very kind of like on par with what Jane Campion wanted we, to do here. Yeah, we get a uh, we get Adam Beach for like one scene too, which is great, and that's and I love Adam Beach. It, to the rawness point that you made before, though. Jesse Plemons is perfect. He was not the he was not even cast for this role. But someone dropped out. I forget who dropped out. Um, someone dropped out and he got cast and he is absolutely fucking amazing. Um, uh, P replaced Paul Dano because maybe because he was making Batman. Batman. It was because he was making Batman. Elizabeth yeah. Moss was also originally cast in Dunce's role. So I'm gonna be honest with you. Elizabeth Moss would have been too much. Kirsten Dunst is. Literally perfect in this movie. Oh no, she's yeah, fantastic. she's absolutely fantastic, and I'm so happy for her that she was able to like get this role as an adult. Finally, she was able to kind of like get out of being Kirsten Dunst for a second, um, being like the no- late '90s kind of like ingenue like caster, and you know, uh, Virgin Suicides, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Bring It On, Wait. Kirsten Dunst. I, I, I found her to be pretty similar to Melancholia here, though. But Melancholia is like a weird one. And because it's Lars von Trier, I don't think she gets credit for Melancholia. Oh, because I found like a lot. Oh, I sure. She carries Melancholia. You and me, for sure. Because Lars von Trier sometimes fucks up. And Melancholia, absolutely. like, he couldn't really necessarily get. And I think that's oh, I, lifted by Kristen Dunst and. Um, Charlotte Gainsbourg. Charlotte Gainsbourg. I you always like to say Charlotte Rampling. Yeah, you and me agree because we are P 
people who don't view Lars von Trier as like a total freak show director. But I think a lot of actresses don't get credit for being in Lars von Trier movies. Hmm. So like when they talk about Nicole Kidman, they don't talk about Dogville. They talk about like Moulin Rouge and The Hours and To Die For. It's like, remember when she got fucking shit on for like two and a half hours on a stage set in Dogville? Do you remember that? Yeah. Like, that's where Nicole Kidman became Nicole Kidman, was she was in Dogville. Um, but no one else, again, Kirsten Dunn doesn't credit for it, so Kirsten Dunn has to do, like, Showtime, like, TV shows, and, like, the third season of Fargo, or the second season of Fargo, you know what I mean? She's, like, doing that shit. Um, while Jesse Plemons is just kind of, like, doop, 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 all the way up to, like, Killers of the Flower I mean, Jesse Plemons and, and Fargo. Right, but he... Was able to parlay Fargo into no, the Irishman, the Irishman, the villain in the Jungle Cruise, the lead in Killers of the Flower Moon, Judah in a Black Messiah. Exactly, like he's able to do that, and she was kind of stuck being like, "Oh, isn't it nice we have Kirsten Dunst doing this stuff?" Well, here she's able to like show range, and she's fucking great. Yeah, Cody Schmidt McPhee is is great. He's also. In a way, I think it's very Jane Campion-esque. He's kind of too perfect for this role. He makes too much sense. You know, in a, in just like an... I, I have a problem... Not in a, not in a negative. Like, not in a negative. A... Not in a negative way, but he's just too... I don't know. It almost seems like he's just... He knows the role too well. Hmm. It's, no, I but see, so... I, I think it kind of works because there's like this inhumanity to that Peter character. That exists except when he has those, and and because of how much work Kristen Dunst is doing here, yep. like she brings so much vulnerability and human, like she's the one kind of like in right. inland to a humanity and vulnerability and rawness that you get in this movie. Because like when she's drunk, okay. she's not always like a fucking like movie drunk. She just sometimes is just like a person the scene, who's raw and sad the and dinner, talking about Valentine's. Mara, the dinner party scene is is harrowing. Like her not wanting to play the piano. Is I had to put that scene upsetting. on mute because I couldn't. Upsetting. I couldn't handle listening to it. Here's why the Cody Schmidt McPhee thing doesn't work for me, even though he works. Is that he is often playing off of Benedict Cumberbatch, and Benedict Cumberbatch for me does not feel wholly comfortable in this role, and he's playing off of somebody who feels like he knows he understands this role perfectly and has inhabited this role i don't love benedict cumberbatch here i hope he wins an oscar over will smith for this it's there's parts of this that seem too mannered Mm -hmm. it's not the walking i love the walking i love the bow-legged stride he looks dirty um he's menacing in a actually what what were some of them oh so the humans. We talk about the humans and like the atmosphere and the way that the movie was shot seems really menacing. And like the Richard Jenkins characters, Eric Blake's payoff is not Eric with a K. Blake's payoff is not as significant as the the atmosphere and the mood of the movie suggests that it could be. I just assumed that Benedict Cumberbatch, the way that he was acting this role in the very beginning, and I think he's effective. I just assumed the stuff he was going to do to Kirsten Dunst was going to be... I thought we were going to see some rough stuff. And he doesn't. He whistles and plays the banjo. And is mean. 
and I was left a lot. He does one side of it really well, like the super vulnerable Bronco Henry clearly took advantage of him in the Hills thing. That one scene that they show in the previews, which um, I'm glad paid off with of him just kind of like the camera comes in low and like stops on his face as he looks towards the hills, and then those those other cowboys come next to him. He's like, "What do you see up there? What do you see up there?" And he's, you know, he saw. There's something that happened in those hills that is just like constantly ripping him apart. Even the the handkerchief scene thing is like really well done. It's when the menace wants to come where I think the film believes he's really menacing and I don't believe he's all that menacing. See, I don't I don't see that. And the, I think Cumberbatch like is is shaky here at points, but the reason that kind of works for me like from an intellectual level of of, of connecting with this is the fact that like I see that kind of vulnerability and that kind of like discomfort mm-hmm. and kind of the level by which he's trying to be an imposing kind of mean yeah. force always has this uncertainty to it. Mm-hmm. Like how manic he seems in so many of these these sequences, how freaked out he seems he sees when Peter sees just the barking dog. Mm. Um and that's because I see like the Peter character and the intentionality of the Peter character being this like Anton Chigar level of unnatural force. But without the evil. But like Really? Phil or Peter? No, I see Peter as like this force of evil. But you think that, do you think that Peter could, would, would, I mean, just to go to the Anton Jagar point, like choke a guy out, like on the floor of a place? On the floor of a police station? I could see him get in there. Because there is, because I I think there's a real choice. Because I I feel as though there's there's a lot of vulnerability and and, and emotional insureness with, with how Cumberbatch does Phil versus with how everything. That's happening with Peter has an intentionality and moments and connection to like the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, the one point where we're like you could say potentially there's a decision made by him that doesn't have strong intentionality behind it is when he decides to kill Phil. Um, mm. Well, because Phil then, is ruining his mom's life. Yeah, but then to have that shot of him just with still with a glove clenching the rope. The rope. And presenting it not so much in a way of like a connection with Phil or whatnot, but connecting it as almost like a totem or trophy of like oh, a see, win. Oh, see, I read it differently. I wrote it. I, I read that as like a win. Like he's seeing it as just like. Oh, see, the, and here's a. I mean, so I guess uh, two points. I want to talk to, to your point, and then I'll just say like. But first, I'll say my thing. I think part of my problem with the Benedict Cumberbatch thing is that he seems his emotion, his emotional. Um, footprint on the film seems looser than the film is. And that's, well, but it seems think, like a lot of displacement. Right. It seems like, well, and that, that makes sense, that you have this weird kind of like disjarring mouthstorm and turbulent cyclone in the middle that is Phil of this very tightly controlled story. I guess. And I and, think that's what worked for me. And so for, for me, it kind this of... It's the weirdest like super uber positive middling review we've ever done. Uh, well, this is not... It's it's almost not middling like I, I'm pretty sure this ends up on my top oh, 10 easily. List. No, for me. Yeah, um, but it's just... It's... it's The movie's so tightly controlled and Phil is so... It's not a movie I ever go back to though to like revisit for like an emotional reaction. Right. Um, oh, maybe I... I just res- maybe, I respect yeah. it. Um, 
Phil is so Phil is so chaotic is so chaotic, and the film seems opposed to Phil to the point where I thought that I read that rope scene as like vaguely sexual. Like that when he was like kind of gripping the rope at the end there with the gloves on to the point where I thought that like or Peter really could have Peter really did was in a way attracted to Phil. Like in a way that I think that Phil probably wasn't to in in a way that Phil wasn't to Bronco Henry. Oh. Because Phil didn't know what he felt when Bronco Henry took advantage of him. But Peter is very aware of what he feels. And if it had gotten to the point where he had to have, you know, set, which is, I think, where I, I assume everyone thinks it's going to go, where, like, Peter and Phil, like, have sex or something. Um, I think he was, like, welcoming of that on a certain level. Like, because he's so aware of himself that he was able, to, he would have been able to kind of derive some kind of, like, aesthetic sexual pleasure from being with Phil where Phil was manipulated. See, I I took it as Phil constantly once again kind of like being in a roundabout way while se- seeming like this domineering force once again being the victim. Sure. Because absolutely. And the reason I see that is because when like Peter just starts like suggestively licking this cigarette oh and he's never been a sexual being at all in this. Right. It it feels once again like no matter what Phil is presented as, has this like kind of totem of of folklore of of myth. Yep. He's still just kind of at the end of the day, just a kid, a rich kid who kind of got like thrown into this world because he's like a hipster sort Phil, of nerd. Yeah, yeah, Phil. He's playing a role. He's a, he's a, he's a nerd at yep. the end of the day. You know, regardless of how he was. Mis- I mean, it's cosplay, obviously, right? Yeah. It is. It's cosplay in the sense of like, but also it's sad because it's like this real pattern of abuse that goes around and all the things he's doing towards Rose and towards Peter early on are just displacement of his own feelings. Right. And towards George. But to, you know, Bronco Henry is presented as this kind of like predatory force early on. Something. Yeah. Because he was, you know, like Bronco Henry, I think when they show the thing, Bronco Henry, when he meets him in his late 40s, when Phil would have been like 18, mm. 17, 18. Yeah. And so he's, even if it was like, you know, technically by whatever standards legal or whatnot, um, there's still a predatory kind of nature there. Which I think is clear. But yeah. then turned around in the end. And the reason I see that rope thing as like a, a victory, or maybe like the only sexualization of that is like, I killed this guy without him even knowing it is because there's this weaponization of sexuality by Peter. Yeah. Um, and that's why I kind of see Peter as just like this kind of like, well, and th- this is omnipresent force of kind of just like, yeah, e- of I- indifference, like casual indifference towards everything. He has this like real connection with his mother, but he understands that, everything. Anything that like steps. Yeah. It right. does feel as though it's like this inhuman. He clearly reads when Phil, when there, I don't even know that, and I think this is my one flaw with the script is that. Did you want the other one? No, wait for now. Okay. Um, that scene when they've made camp for some reason, in the in like the meadow, or whatever. That's when like Phil kind of decides he's going to kind of take Peter under his wing. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100 percent sure why they're out there. Do you know why they're out there? No, I don't, I don't know why they're out there, but they're out there, and um, they've set up this camp and they're going to do whatever. Um, 
Peter clearly reads what's happening, like, in a way that Phil clearly doesn't think that he can read it. Like, Phil clearly thinks he's manipulating Peter, and Peter is very clearly, like, instantaneously, like, oh, I got this guy. Like, fuck this guy. My mom can't move. Like, she, like, won't go any further than this point because, like, Phil scares her so much. Like, he's just trying to get under her skin by, like, getting close to me. Like, I got it. And that's where I think Cody Schmidt McPhee is so good is that he just, and that's where Jane Campion is so good is that she just lets the stuff be very subtle and like carried in his face and his body language and like the way he talks. Um, and that's where I think the vulnerability parts are where I think that Cumberbatch shines as um, Phil. But I also think it's where, what was I talking about? Why was I talking about this? I'm trying to connect to where you're getting to. Um, this is a bad combination of beers. Uh, I guess I don't. I guess it's one of those things where, yeah, I don't remember. I have a lot of feel. I guess let's just like scratch. You're talking that about. Stuff. You know, you're, you're talking about. So you're talking about the scene where we establish in the meadow. That Peter has control of the situation. Oh, he's still feeling... yeah. So it's just a, it's it's the idea that like the idea that Peter understands like more of what's going on than Phil ever could, and I think it's, um, I think it's the movie's like one flaw is that it thinks maybe that we the viewer doesn't. So Phil maintains his power over. For like a, a like a little bit, Phil tries to maintain his power over like everybody, like on his ranch and like what have you, um, and there's not enough. I feel like there's not enough balance to him, so he becomes but, like this focal point where I I I, I want well, more Peter to well, balance. That. Well, that's why I find and I that's want why him I find more vulnerable and more Peter to balance this. Well, that's why scales. I find interesting. Why I find interesting about this movie from. An experiment in its narrative progression. Oh, is, I know what it's going is to the fact that Phil is the one disturbance in everything. He is the one yes. sort of from the very first moment, you know, just calling George Fatso and being the kind of like rude, gruff exterior force, yep. this kind of like idyllic Montana in the nineteen twenties, and George being like a passive kind of nice guy. Like yep. he's this one kind of imposing force. He's always a through line. That is create that is kind of like ruining this kind of like flow, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, and I, what I think is interesting and works from an intellectual standpoint is like Peter is represented as like this kind of like thing that like the tweezers that pulls out that that root problem, yes. And, yes. and the fact yes. that Peter, like you see Peter, like look at George and Rose, like kind of like making out. In front of the like um, at the, the fountain, but then turns around satisfied with it because like, everything yeah. is back to a natural state. So here's uh, this is exactly where I was going to go. Yes, thank you very much. This script is gold so, star. this yeah gold star. The script is so perfect in the sense that like Peter's dad hangs himself, okay, and Phil's gonna make help like make this rope. He's gonna show him how to make this really complicated knot to make this rope. So the movie keeps suggesting all these different way, play, ways that this movie can end, that this thing is going to end, right? 
like he's making this rope together. They have this really subtle, and I love it, this hip move where he like Phil pulls the rope against his hip as he's like nodding it. He always they always show his hip and he's pulling the rope against his hip and like you're just kind of like why? It's well, there's a real sexuality to it. Absolutely, it's just suggestive, but it's not it's not necessarily related to something specific. It's just a it's a move. You know what I mean? It's a suggestive move. It's a primal. Move. That's, it's a primal. Um, I think to my to to the point that I'm making, and I think all of we're we both really like this movie. I, I guess my one problem is that fact that like Peter seems to understand how the movie works, where Phil doesn't seem to understand how the movie works. Well, and that's why you know I like I mean? about it. Is that's that why... is that a weird thing to say? Like no, no, I Phil's, agree because well, Peter I, I seems feel... too aware of the film, even though he's not aware. He's not like looking at the camera or something like that. But like no, I... he understands all the machinations as we get to understand them and Phil does not. Well, that's why I find interesting. Yeah. That's why I find interesting is like Phil is that discordant bit of a song or that like rogue number in a program or that, that missing part, that missing, that, that additional paragraph that like ruins the narrative you know what and Peter's helped. there to like edit it out you know what like that's helped. what it feels like it yes. feels almost like a here's the one and this is a weird crazy thing I'm saying but it yeah. feels almost like this movie's just about like an artist not an artistic process that's that's going too far it's going too far but it feels as though Peter is this like omnipotent force that is ripping out is doing a root canal on that's this like really thing that doesn't need to be there right that's interesting, and I respect it, and I um, agree with you while like disagreeing with you. You know what I mean? I'm also saying it's just like a weird thing to do in this movie. No, but I think it's I think it's right while being like not what I felt when I watched it. Mm. So I think this the scene that kind of always stands out for me, which I think is the this movie's I guess other flaw is and it's not like a flaw. It's just like a I think this when they first sit down to dinner and Phil yells at the people like the revelers in the restaurant in rose's restaurant that are like singing too loudly well, stop the playing player the piano and all that, yeah. if they hadn't stopped playing mm. i would have i think felt more what you feel i agree that yeah, feels that, that, that's a bit phil's power is very limited and he the way that he perceives it is different from the way that the world perceives it but the fact that they did stop playing led me to be, believe that he was very powerful. And well, that he was very much in control when I think in a lot of ways he hasn't been in control for a long time. Like I don't think – I think this George – I think one of the movie's positives is the fact that it dumps us into a situation where George has probably been thinking about and actively pursuing this break for a long time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I get the impression because Jesse Plemons is so he plays this so perfectly that he's been on the hunt for to not be lonely um for a while. And there's a there's a and I think that's where the sadness comes from is that there real is a real um there's a I feel a real I mean which is I guess part of the course because they're married um and have kids. There's a connection between Rose and George. Like, I feel that. It makes, in that scene when, you know, 
she takes him out when they're like she stops the car and they dance and then he just kind of breaks away from her and you're just kind of like you're wondering what is going to be the thing that he's going to like what is he going to say here how is this going to get ruined and he's just it's like and i'm going to get overcome talking about it um he's like overcome emotionally thinking of how happy he is you know what i mean and like mm. that seems very real and then you get back to phil and he's like you're a schemer and you're just like a treat nah. schemer I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, you didn't just see what we saw. Like, she clearly isn't a schemer. And, like, he's clearly very happy. Which, and that's what I find so interesting about this movie is the fact that, like, everything Peter does in this movie has, by action and by deliberation, is awful. Mm. Like, morally repugnant. But wow. the end by which you get to it, what, what you end up with in the end... Makes it justified. It's so just, you are feeling that Peter is right. Like there he's morally wrong. Morally wrong, but, but like narratively end, correct. But ends like justify where you end up with, right? Like Are you mad it's at kind him? Of, Were you mad at him? Were you mad at the movie that like Phil died? No, I didn't care. Like I ultimately like didn't because I ultimately I felt as though like I said, like this there's this narrative kind of like boulder standing in the way of like what you emotionally want to see these characters feel mm. like where you want these characters to emotionally be mm-hmm. and the only thing that's presenting that is only thing that's preventing that is phil mm. and to have somebody who's like this kind of like weird you know he's not even in half the movie <laughs> yeah creation just root that out you're like okay that's wrong mm. how we got there but narrative like we end up with the world we wanted in the beginning i guess that's good that's a good way to put it yeah because like that's that's like that's why like also like Johnny Greenwood's score here works so well. Oh, I love it's this like score. The fucking discordant noise that just elevates and elevates and elevates. But every this time. movie, and I use the term I use the term when I'm teaching all the time is um, scaffolding. This movie is great because it scaffolds its score. Yeah. Where when he goes, where do they go? Was it is it when he kills the rabbit? Like when they when he takes him, like when uh, uh, when um, Rose doesn't want him to take. When Benedict Cumberbatch and oh my god, Phil, we have two. It's <laughs> two, two these movies that when we talk about movies that like are feature actors that are too famous, and we just talk about them in the context of like themselves. Like, so I want to say Kirsten Dunst, Benedict Cumberbatch, Coach McPhee. When Phil and Peter go out alone, um, and the scene that ends with, um, they have that wood pile. He mm. sees that woodpile, and then the rabbit is, has a broken leg, and he's like, oh, you better put it out of its misery. And you clearly think that he's not going to do it um, because like of the way that like Phil presents it. Like, you better just kill this rabbit. And he's just like, <laughs> he kills it. Yeah. The movie is, um, the score is very organic and, and wooden. And like, uh, when I when I say wooden, I mean like played on wooden instruments for that whole time. And then when they're when the camera pulls back and shows them kind of like going over some hills on their horses, it goes with synthesizer score. And I'm just like, oh my god! Like he just built on the score, and it ends with a synthesizer. Like it expands to a synthesizer. It's something that he didn't do in Spencer. Again, Spencer fucking stinks. I think I think we said it. And Johnny Spencer. Greenwood is great 
in in every other context, but Spencer is awful. Well, that's that's actually but like he builds this. He 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 builds the score bit by bit by bit to end in this kind of like. Well, that's boom. that's why I find interesting. Oh, that's the one great. thing I want to say in, that I said that I felt was maybe slightly jarring for me mm-hmm. was like a combination of like synthesizer score and the very clear drone shots gives us like real modernity. I, gr- I think I agree with you. And yeah, I don't know if that's a problem or it kind of adds to this kind of like overall aesthetic choice that's being made. So it's the one thing I think too that I'm, it's going to keep it from my production design list, mm. which is short for us, admittedly. But I think it's going to keep it is that the house, the, Krilla, the one through five, the house, <laughs> the house seems very constructed. Like I love yeah, the house. I, agree. I love how I love how it looks, but it feels very doesn't feel lived in it doesn't it should just erupt out of the earth it feels like it you know what i mean but it feels like a set uh is that richard donner maverick the 94 movie sure oh my god yes is that richard donner i think it's richard donner um i love maverick i love that movie but like every like scene in that looks like a set to me um which works for that movie richard donner yeah that was almost on my how, list. How the fuck do I, do I remember that? Was Richard Donner. Weird things that keep in my mind when other things should stay in my mind, like people's names. Um, like I meet people, if I talk we... to them repeated times, and I don't remember their name. But Richard Donner directing Maverick. That's I'm going to be honest with you. If we did a list in 1994, half of my best supporting actors would be Matt characters from Maverick: Graham Greene and James Coburn and Alfred Molina. <laughs> All of them. Jodie Fall. Maverick might have been like my number three movie of 1994. I love, I love Maverick. Maverick yeah. Again, I didn't see it in 1994. I saw it in probably like 1996 on video. I saw Maverick in 94-95. Yeah. I saw it immediately when it came out on video. Right, me too. But no, so it has that it has that very setty look to it, and yeah. everything here does. Yep. I think it works to its advantage. Because like I said, everything I see in this is like a story being well, it's, it's, told like this movie feels like intentionally like a narrative. How it feels, you, does that, that sound right? Like it feels intentionally like a story being told to you. And maybe because, because Phil like, represents this fable like character to you. Fable is an interesting word. So the one, the, in, a movie that kind of kept coming to mind when I was watching this was Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. Same for me. Really? Yeah. That's so fascinating. How come? <laughs> because of this like, Story-like quality to it, this fable-like quality, this narrative—not not narrative, but this—the um, folklore of it, this Bronco Henry the thing passing... kind of penetrating, penetrating through it. Yeah, these constant stories that are there. It was this idea of a governor, the the old gent and whatnot. The the story of the parents and the Burbank children, like all this is representing like these big grandiose tales of time that are unspoken interesting so for me it was totally it was aesthetic in in the um passage to like the place where phil was like alone Mm. like that like water like hole you know like he had to pass through that like he you know covered up this kind of twig passageway with with long strips of bark and then there's this other passageway where he kept his like pornography and then there's like this water area that has this little glade attached to it where he like you know did the the handkerchief scene all that stuff seemed very like mystical and like fairy tale 
esque, which I thought was like really powerful in the context of the way that Phil had internalized his experience with Bronco Henry. Like it really was like a fairy tale, and he had turned it into this myth of Bronco Henry, and he has a you know an altar to him in the in the barn, um, which I thought was like really fantastically sexual. Like when he was like you know caressing the saddle and sitting on the saddle yeah. and the way that he present the way that the saddle was like presented like in honor of Bronco Henry here's two candles two candles and a saddle like sticking out you know what i mean um all that stuff seemed very like un- unreal and fantastical and i guess i to go to kind of tie my feelings together the movie was so tight those fantastical elements seemed a little like congruent from the rest of the yeah yeah it seemed a little it seemed emotionally loose where the film was structurally and narratively tight well that's the thing I think this entire movie is emotionally like empty like I don't think there's a real emotional connection but like structural narrative tightness but you don't blame Cumberbatch and I blame a little bit Cumberbatch and I don't I don't blame I don't blame anything I think it's I think there's an intentional I don't think I, from what I've seen of Jane Campion, I don't think she cares about emotionally making you care about her movie. I think she just cares about the aesthetic. showing you right. an aesthetically controlled narrative. Well, that's Cause I think because the... I thought like the piano was a bad movie until I like rewatched it. I was like, oh no, there's just a real intentionality behind it. Same right. thing with like, and Holy Smoke is meant to be more of a narrative, narratively loose movie in that way, mm-hmm. but it's still so reined in that you're just like, no, she's, Jane Campion's either can't do it and she wants to and she's failed or she doesn't give a shit and i lean more towards i just don't think she cares i think she just wants a tight narrative control right but it makes it just makes me wonder who to recast i don't know we don't do this on this podcast ever like the recasting of phil like i'm not sure who plays the movie like a with like a tiny bit more control over like just, I, I just, I just I feel, I feel as though, I feel as though, if there was that person, Jane Campion would have cast, cast them, them and made that movie. See, because I just, I go back to the scene, to the end of the governor scene, where like Phil shows up and is eating that apple. I was like, you're doing this wrong. Like, it's just, it's too big, but like also like menacing, but like just, it's just. I don't know. I want more like subtlety to it, and I think Benedict Cumberbatch is a great actor. There's just like parts of this movie where like it lacks the subtlety that I I just like want. I just I want a I little more subtext think, to his performance. I don't think he's that great imitation game. <laughs> no, 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 no. But he's he's pretty good. Actually, I think he's better in the Electric Life of Louis Wayne. I still I I never actually it's understood. good. I it's, like I like him a lot in Doctor Strange. I think Doc, I think he works in Doctor Strange. I think really Doctor well. Strange. Really should be like the face of the new Marvel over Tom Holland, personally. But he's not. We lose, but <laughs> he's what? I said we lose. He's not going to be. So oh no, lose. he's not going to be. But like... um, but no, I think he's. I think he's. I think he's a good actor. I just think like what would have. I don't know. The only other person I could think of in this role is like Leonardo DiCaprio, not because I think he would be good at it, but just because I think it would be the type of thing that he would do. Right, like just kind of being like being well, mean to people. Just too old, but that would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been fucking great. 
Willem Dafoe just, no because Willem Dan Dafoe Dan Stevens Willem Dafoe oh Dan Stevens would have been good <laughs> um, but Dan Stevens is too hot like but imagine Willem Dafoe whistling at people you're just like there's no way this is good <laughs> Rose is out of there in like one second she's like I'm not playing this again I'm fucking gone she's goodbye like, she's like I was in Melancholia the follow up to Antichrist I am fucking out of here Oh, man. You were not breaking any of my waves. There was too much whistling. No, thank you. Oh, man. That would actually, yeah, that's funny. That's funny. That's funny to think about. She just kind of is like, there's no way this ends well. She just leaves. And then George comes back after being absent for like 30 minutes. He's like, where's Rose? And she's like, Phil's just like, <laughs> he's just, and George is like, you whistled again, didn't you? <laughs> Reddits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. But no, I, I think I think overall we agree. This is like a, a super like this it's is great. A, of the of the Netflix tent poles, easily the best. Well, it's, I think the movies are changing a little bit. So I'm thinking. Of I this... think Netflix is also getting over the fact that they have to create like this like big grandiose tent pole and just being like, oh, this is the best movie of our bunch. No, no, she's there. Netflix is like who. What filmmaker can we get to make a good movie? So the movies that I like best out and this of this is... Netflix thing is this, then Roma, then... No, no, I, this is this is my second favorite of Netflix is still. I'm thinking of ending things is still. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking of ending things. And then, this, I think, and I then think, Roma. I think you have to find directors and creators who fucking already control their shit so tightly... But that, That's the only people who are going to work with this Netflix thing. But the question is, what are you going to do with the freedom? So that's where oh, yeah, I'm thinking of anything in, in this work. Like, like, work because they're like, what am I going to do with the freedom? I'm going to make the movie I was always going to make. And they're, and they're so... Or they've always been presented with such a limited budget or they don't really care about money mm-hmm. or they don't really care about things that they're always like, oh, I am already controlled by like my own manic need and neuroticism. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's so I don't. I watched um, a, which I not to say, suggest that like Jane Campion and Charlie Kaufman are neurotic, but like no, there's, I mean, there's a real yeah, yeah yeah tightness. Here's what I would say: is that these yeah. are directors who are already making art house films that were small and tightly no. controlled. This is what a thirty million dollar movie. But Jane Campion was only going to get thirty million dollars from Netflix to make this movie. Yeah, and to cast whoever she wanted in it, and to do what she wanted to do, and blah blah blah. To the same extent that like Charlie Kaufman was only going to make I'm Thinking of Ending Things for Netflix. I think the problem with something... So those two are the standard. I think the problem with Roma is that... And because I, I just watched pieces of it again when I was thinking about this. Is that he did... There's shots in Roma that he already did in Children of Men. And Children of Men is a better movie than Roma. Well, no, the problem... I think the problem with Roma is, is it's still visually close. It's still visually tight. Like I, I feel like as though Quiron made Roma, thinking it was going to be viewed on a television. Mm. No, I don't think he did. I think he thought it was going to be viewed in theaters. You think so? Because I, I heard a lot of people say that it worked better in theaters than it did on TV. And my problem with Roma was that like when Roma felt too close though. Like in that scene where they're walking through the the not forest, but they're walking just through the oh sure yeah yeah, yeah. rounds that feels yeah. like it seems better scene small. see my problem with the scene for me for Roma that I have a problem with is um, the guru scene when they go to do the yoga and I was like this sucks like this is just too staged and then 
the scene, um, the riot scene. I think the riot scene looks better on a small screen. But the riot scene is also, he did it better in, he picked better angles and did it better in Children of Men. And it had a more emotional resonance than it did in Roma. That's the problem with Roma. Roma always has a locked camera. No matter the scene, it always always has has a locked camera. camera. And that's, right. And, and Irishman doesn't work because Martin Scorsese doesn't work when he gets the Irishman is Irishman, Irishman I, is terrible. Irish, I, I'm going to say this: Martin Scorsese works best with like a tight, like a bit of control. Like Hugo doesn't work for the same reason. Like that was although Hugo, Hugo's Hugo. is again, I'm, we're coming at it from different perspectives. But Hugo's I'm watching like it, visually I've, a pleasure and like. But I've watched it with of, my kids and they like. Yeah, Hugo. it wor- No, it works for that, but right. they're still like visual. They're still flaw. Like they're still kind of like flaws in the sense of like. There's grand thoughts in Hugo and Irishmen from like a thought perspective that mm-hmm. don't come through in execution. But this is the same problem when we're changing the conversation here. This is the same problem I've had with Martin Scorsese forever. Is that like there's movies that I think don't have that problem, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Mean Streets, whatever. And then there's like movies that like Cape Fear, which everyone for some reason recently has been writing these think pieces about how great Cape Fear is. Cape Fear fucking stinks. I was literally just going to say. Right? No, I was literally just going to say how I think Cape Fear is like somebody slightly controlling him from a studio perspective. Oh, I think Cape Fear is terrible. No, I I think it's a bad movie from a structural narrative standpoint. But I think from like a visual perspective standpoint, mm. it works. Yeah, and I feel well, as silence. Though... I think si- silence is I think is his best movie. If I had to rank, like it'd be Raging Bull and then Silence is like the Martin Scorsese movies for me. Maybe Goodfellas. Maybe Goodfellas is like hanging around inside of that. I mean, I still love Departed the most because I think because and the reason I think Silence also works for me is I think Scorsese works best when he's honoring other filmmakers when he's doing something else other filmmakers want to do mm. i think scorsese's like a good tarantino you don't like tarantino anymore i never i never i, I think tarantino tarantino's fallen on like the second we started loving tarantino as much and giving him free reign mm-hmm. i'm like Ooh. like jackie brown stuff no like post kill bill stuff like the second mm. The second, like, Kill Bill was, like, the moment we gave him full full reign. And I like Kill Bill 1 and 2. But after that, he hasn't. I just watched Kill Bill 1 he and hasn't, 2. He hasn't connected with me since then. Yeah. I think Django doesn't, I think Django's fine, but doesn't work. I think Glorious Bastard sucks. Me too. I think, um. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think that's fine. But I think, uh. I had called, a, I think, what's a, look at his other one. Grindhouse. Uh, that's or death proof. Kurt Russell one. Death proof. No, Kurt Russell goes. Okay, Jennifer Jason Leigh's in it. Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Oh Hateful yeah, Eight, yeah, I think I it's a fucking trash. No, it's movie. terrible. Yeah, yeah. Because I think once he's, I think Kill Bill's like where we allowed him to be completely unchained, mm-hmm. and I think since then it's just, it's just not been. Yeah, I think Kill Bill hit. He hasn't hit those controlled Jackie Brown Reservoir Dogs. Pulp Fiction levels. Well, I think and Kill Bill to a degree, right? And I think Kill Bill would be a better film. It's too Quentin Tarantino. It's very Inglorious Bastardsy, but it's before Inglorious Bastards. I don't know. He had. I I hate Inglorious Bastards. Django is good until the very end, and I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think is in a lot of ways is like second best movie because it's where he steers into 
aesthetics over anything else. Yeah. So it's just a good time. Like there's scenes of real tension that feel super fucking tense that you're just like, oh yeah, this is why I go to, to movies. And there's scenes that are funny that you're just like, oh yeah, this is like why I go to the movies. And, but then there's, he tries to tie it together with some stuff and you're just kind of like, well, that doesn't Well, that's work. the thing. And that's, that's why like, because well, he always tries to tie it together with some sort of like homage. And I don't think as like an homage director, he works. Because, and I think Scorsese, when, like we've talked about this with Scorsese, we're like, Goodfellas doesn't really work for me. Uh, Casino works to a degree, but like where he's doing something that's clearly an homage to something in the past, it works. Because I think Martin Scorsese is like this real solid encyclopedia of a, of a director and a creator that when he wants to do an homage to it, it works. But I don't feel as though he has so here's a... something that doesn't... I, I, I'm not going to say he doesn't have a, a visual language because he does... It's just his visual language is a little boring. I would so let's side to what we're talking about with Jane Campion. I think Jane Campion often tries to, and this is coming from Top of the Lake, and coming from like Angel at My Table and from Piano and from this, that Jane Campion has an aesthetic, a film perspective, and she tries to wed the story to her aesthetic. I think someone like Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese have they try to do they have a story aesthetic. And they try to wed a film aesthetic to like how they want to tell a story a little bit. So that's why I think that silence works so well for me and I think is so powerful is because it seems to go run contrary to everything that Martin Scorsese has ever done. Like Martin Scorsese has never shot a long shot in any other movie, has ever shot a long shot of a person screaming at like another person. Well, the thing about... But in Silence, he the most powerful scene in Silence is when Andrew Garfield literally watches Adam Driver's character kill himself trying to save people that have been purposefully drowned on a boat. Well, there's like a there's like an Ozu thing going it's on. It's Ozu and Kurosawa. Yeah. Like, he's just taking those two guys and being like, I'm going to make this movie. And it's unbelievable. I mean, it's... It's emotionally and aesthetically unbelievable, but it's also emotionally and aesthetically unlike anything else that Martin Scorsese's ever done. Yeah, Power of the Dog is exactly in the wheelhouse of the of everything else that Jane Campion's ever done. It's just, you know, it's just another one. It's just another Jane Campion movie, and that's why she's an auteur, like like Scorsese, like Tarantino, like Ozu, like Agnes Varda, like all these other people. She has a film aesthetic that she's. That she's uh, a film language that she's that she only she speaks with, and when people try to rip it off, they do a bad job. Yeah. So the other movie that I was thinking about a lot when I was watching this, besides the Pan's Labyrinth stuff, was um, uh, the Loge Kerrigan. I think Clean Shaven owes a mm. lot to the Jane Campion, or maybe well, it can't be this post piano. Yeah. Okay. Um. And I'd have to go back and compare them, but just like the way that um, the lead character interacts with their environment and the way that the score kind of functions seems very they they reminded me of each other. And I guess maybe because I like, can see that they're Australian or whatever, um, very naturalistic. Um, but yeah, those two things kind of. They seem to share like Loge Kerrigan seems to be very influenced by like the the stuff that Jane Campion is doing. Maybe he's not, but it seems which like... would be an interesting connection because Loge Kerrigan would end up doing Girlfriend Experience, 
and girlfriend experience would be shot by um uh like girlfriend like second season would be end up being shot by Ari Wagner. Was that true? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Good work, Mario. Yeah. That's Kevin. That's six degrees of Kevin Bacon stuff right there. <laughs> Maybe Loach Kerrigan secretly was like doing the cinematography on this, helping. I was like, could I help? I bet he showed yeah, up. Sure. I bet he showed up one day. Yeah, but I, I, could, I, I could see, I could see those two getting. But along. I liked. I mean, it's, it's, it's. Um, it was affecting, and it, it, it. Um, yeah, it's, it's it mas- wasn't perfect. It's, mas- it's mas- It is masterful in the sense of like, oh yeah, having a. If you want to see something that has such see somebody having such control over their thoughts and their ideas and their Mm -hmm. production, this is it. Like, if you want to show a film class, like, oh, this is the movie you intended to make, this is it. Well, and there's a reason... There's a real intentionality. There's a reason that Jane Caviot has not moved from... She's in pen. Not even, like, a raceable pen. Yeah. Like a a fountain pen that's going to spray ink when you write, like, for best director for this year. Like, whoever wins everything else is kind of up in the air. Jane Campion is clearly winning Best Director. And she just fucking deserves it. Because this, you know, the other thing... Yeah, this is... This, this is, is perfectly this is directed direct. where Belfast is overly directed and where, like, Denny Villeneuve is just... Is also overly directed in this a lot is just, of ways. This is just somebody going like, this is a movie I want to make, and I fucking did it. Well, she's what she's saying is, like, I'm going to make a movie that you can show at MoMA... Or watching your house. Like, and it works, I think, in either context. And it's also the movie I wanted to make. Right. She didn't... Right, because she didn't have to make this movie. Yeah. This movie is... This movie shares the title of a book that's like a self-help book. So if you look up The Power of the... If you looked up The Power of the Dog like two months ago, you were getting like two other books before you got this. Before you got the... Uh, the Thomas book. Savage book. Yeah. The Thomas Savage novel. You got like, you know, a, a self-help book and some other thing. Romance novel, and then you know you got this. Um, so yeah, she didn't have to make this movie, but she did it, and it's fucking great. Yeah, but it's also you know I felt weird things. It's it's a it's a great movie, but it's definitely not a pivot. It would never be a pivotal movie for us. I don't like think so. up, as people who, for people like you know clearly, one movie's gonna pop up later on for us. And that might not be a perfect movie. That's perfectly. But like emotionally, it hits the rawness we want. Is this, I mean, I you know where it is. It's not moving for me. Something. Yeah. Licorice could, Pizza would have to be the greatest movie of all time. I mean, it's a nominee for me. I, I'm not necessarily sure if it wins right now, but okay, yeah. Um. But yeah, that's the only other thing I could think of moving it. Is that Elena Ham? And Cooper Hoffman are just like off the fucking charts, and I can't handle it. But then Bradley Cooper is there to ruin it for you. I'm I've already penciled in it. I've because because this year has been so weird, and there's so much. Yeah. I've penciled things in to make sure it's kind of like a reminder, like watch that movie. But like I just Dune has been penciled in for visual effects. You know, since I printed out my spread. They printed yeah. out my spreadsheet. You know what I mean? It's it and it's it satisfied all the requirements for winning the visual effects award for for me. Um, this is around the time I actually start creating my. Or I may steal from what you've done before and, and do an encanto for visual effects. 
Hey, it's always good. It's always good just to... Well, just, I'm going to be... I get now. We'll tie it back to the beginning of the episode, Mario. We both said when we watched Dune that, like, everything that looks... That happens in Dune looks like it actually happened. Um, but those are people, and they're, like, trying to, like, you know... Uh, they're, you know, filming around people. And Kanto is not a thing that exists in the universe. Yeah. That, that human type is not a type that exists in the universe. And it made me say, like, huh, I believe it. Somewhere they made a... Somewhere there's a person that looks like that. That was in some rubble. Has dust all over their hair. Huh, it's weird. No, I think I think we'll get to a point where we start accepting animated films as like visual effects things. Final yeah, Fantasy VII Advent Children Two. Follow up sequel to the two thousand and one movie. I love that movie. I never saw it. Me and my guy watch that movie a lot. Really. Well, it's because they, they dress the women appropriately. So it's allowed. Like an actual, like, battle gear? Well, like, Tifa doesn't just have, like, a sports bra on and underpants. Well, it's a skirt, Wait, but it's and, underpants. And Tifa, and Tifa just wears, like, a short white shirt. And suspenders. And a gray yeah. shirt. A short, loose sports bra, <laughs> suspenders, and a mini skirt that barely covers her ass. Oh, Final Fantasy and VII. When they when she's victorious in battle, she does a back a back stretch with her arms <laughs> with her arms. <laughs> oh man. But in Advent Children she's wearing like a long skirt and like has a shirt. So Did I ever tell you I have a bad relationship with Final Fantasy Seven? And this is we're, we've stopped talking about movies once again. Did I ever tell you I have a bad relationship with Final Fantasy Seven? I don't think so. So my parents uh, the very first video game console I ever got was a PlayStation. Sure. And my parents knew I wanted a flight simulator-like game. Mm-hmm. And so they asked somebody at the Walmart in Elko, Nevada, what's a good flight simulator game? The person apparently did not know what that meant. Um, and, and suggested Final Fantasy VII. Flight simulator? <laughs> for a flight, a flight simulator. Not Ace Combat. Like, one or two, which was the big game at the time. The one I actually like, really wanted to play. Um... Yeah, and so so my parents got me Crash Bandicoot, it's which good. it's fucking great. Yeah. Like I played that game forever, and Final Fantasy VII. Uh, <laughs> Did you beat Final Fantasy VII? Well, here's the fun story about Final Fantasy VII. See, the problem with like systems back then, uh, sure. at least the PlayStation. Uh, I don't think Nintendo sixty four has problem was you know because it was a disc-based thing and you couldn't save stuff on the discs. You had to uh, get a memory card. Oh yeah, you did tell me about this. Yeah, and yeah. so. Uh, the three disc, uh, eighty hour game that is Final it's like 60. 60 hour game. Yeah, Final seven. Yeah, during my Christmas break, actually, uh, on the first day of Christmas break, the first Saturday, I I did not see my friends, even though I got invited out to hang out with them, because I was going to beat Final Fantasy seven in one sitting. Just get a memory game, card, which I didn't like. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't get a memory card, but then I got to the end of the first disc, and I thought. That the game would save ah. the fact that I got to the end of the first disc after thir- 14 straight hours of playing. Yeah. Um, and then when I came back from the Christmas tree lighting in Carson City, Nevada, and I tried to put the second disc in, and it said put in the first disc, uh, I think that's the first time I ever uh, realized if God was real. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's the best part of the game. Being the first disc? The first disc, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty... I mean, I got... It was like I think it was like I think I got to the point with like chocobo racing near the, I think, the end yeah. Of the first so after Eris dies, is that the end of the first disc? Yeah. Okay. 
So after you go to the shell, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, the yeah. shell city, and Eris, you know, Eris dies, and you fight Sephiroth's weirdo, like alternate bodies or Juno, um, Juno, Junon. I forget what his name is. What his name is when you fight that like weirdo boss for the first time. That's the end of the first disc, yeah. Okay, I didn't remember Eris dying in the first disc. The greatest full motion video of all time. When Eris is in the lake, and then Sephiroth is like going down with a sword. And... Yeah. <sighs> video games. I love them. If you like video games, <laughs> we're changing formats. You can tweet us at Film Pivotal. Uh, because video game film pivotal? No. Like Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. The top video game movie of the year. There was the two of them that came out, right? Well, Sonic 2 is coming out next year, so that'll... Well, there was what? There was was Resident Evil and Mortal Kombat. Was that the only two video game movies this year? I'm sure there was another one. I mean, we could count... I'm not going to watch it, but the League of Legends thing that everyone's fucking jizzing themselves over. Monster Hunter wasn't this year, right? No. That was a couple years. No, but the League of Legends uh, anime that's on Netflix. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly my reaction to that, because that's what I think about MOBAs. What the hell's a MOBA? Uh, whatever League of Legends is, or Dota. I don't know. And if you want to explain this to us, you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast.gmail.com, or you can go to pivotalfilm.com. Where you can also, we won't read that email, because we don't give a shit. I, have you looked at the email? Like, when was the last time you looked at the email? I get the emails. I, I, like the, I get them, too. All of them are spam. They're but, all... but if if one of the emails says topic title explanation of MOBA, I'm gonna open up that email and be like, "Guy, you could just why don't you just message us on Twitter? Just go to Twitter. Stop emailing us, or you go to pivotalfilms.com. And you can see how to subscribe to our Twitter or a list of the uh, films on our pivotal film list. Remember when we did that? Yeah. Um, or the beers that we drank when we did our pivotal film list. That's an impressive. That's actually more impressive than the list, the film list, all the amount. Of, and new beers we found and just like never ever like repeated a beer the breadth of beers that we drank yeah. we drank so many beers and it was all we paid for them all ourselves no sponsors ever oh right that one time yeah East Rock East Rock Brewing did give us a growler for free um, we were sponsored one episode but yeah we're gonna I don't we'll figure out when we're gonna come back there's a lot of movies coming out in the next couple weeks yeah it was like a one week pause and then just a well we fly. get so we have West Side Story, and then Spider-Man, and then Licorice Pizza, and then you and me are heading to New York. Um, well, those are just theatrical films. Like at, like after right. like, after next after this weekend, like the flood of streaming stuff is. I know. Constant. So we're gonna have to put a we're gonna have to put a. We've decided that Tragedy of Macbeth is our end, right? So uh, we'll, January fifteenth, like from, right. Like last so year. the end like, of like, January, we'll how, do our best. Like how we did last year. Uh, January 15th is once again our cutoff. Right. So, you know, One Night in Miami was our cutoff last year. Yep. That was a, uh, yeah, that was the 10th. Yeah, so I think, I think like, the 15th. It, was it the 10th? I thought it was the 14th that came out. I don't know. I thought it was the 10th. Okay. But, but could, regardless, we, we just go with the 14th of January being our cutoff. Yep. So, obviously, Father and Memoria. Memoria. Well, Memoria will be there. Memoria will be there. Uh, Minari. Um, Hopefully. And... But like those movies are under consideration yeah, yeah, yeah. for twenty twenty one. Yeah. Um but yeah, we'll figure it out. A lot of stuff a lot of stuff to cover. Yeah. Some of it I care about, some of it I don't care about. 
Although I'm excited, I'm actually kind of excited for the West Side Story thing. The reviews have been almost too good. I'm pretty indifferent to it still because of the West Side Story. Because yeah, I don't give a shit about musicals. Yeah, I don't give a shit about musicals either. But the fact that it's like even people that seemed like to hate it were just kind of like, oh yeah, they did it. Is they corrected everything that was well? If they could make me, the if they can one. make me give a shit about a musical, I don't give a shit about. That makes me give a shit about a play I don't give a shit about. Then I'd be impressed. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. The Ansel Elgort thing is the only thing that's holding me back from being like legitimately excited because everyone thinks, everyone agrees that he apparently stinks. Um, Janice Kaminsky's got to be doing cinematography for this too, oh, right? Yeah. So yeah, I'm also not excited to watch that again. Aren't you kind of excited to see some blown out like backlighting in a in a musical setting? Don't you think that would be more like aesthetically appropriate then like it's gonna be here's minority report it, I, I will be i will be shocked if i like this mm. i think west side story is is a terrible movie oh who cares i don't care i think it's a boring musical i think it's all boring well does my problem with west side story, my problem with west side story is always is framed as a love story and i don't care if people fall in love that's not like a reason enough for any of the things that are happening to happen yeah you know, like people being in love with each other, saying make no, it, be, yeah, make, make better make, choices. Yeah, make or make love like seem like the most important thing ever. Be more responsible. Or, but like, or if you're gonna sell the love, like make it work. Right. Not just kind of like we Puerto Ricans are against these Irish guys. Why? Uh, I'm not sure. We just are. We don't like them. But Shakespeare said we had to be. <laughs> <laughs> Which ones are the Puerto Rican? Which ones were the Irish and the Capulets and the Montagues? <laughs> well, they're both Irish. The more like Romeo and Juliet things that people do, the more I uh, long for the days of the Boslerman and Romeo and Juliet to just kind of be the definitive expression of that. The more I long for people just to make more Titus Adronicus. But oh, I know. Harder, I was talking about that in harder class. Harder and harder ours. Well, I was showing a. I was showing a like uh, Julie Taymor's like. Here's, I know. Here's my style. But, like, I want to see, you know, Jeremy Sullivan do a Titus Adronicus. I, I was showing the um, kids in class uh, some <laughs> clips Craig from... That's Craig Zoller. Yeah. That's yeah, Craig Zoller doing Shakespeare would be great. Um, so, uh, yeah. They're sure. all white. No, ask Craig Zoller doing Othello. Have to do it. Mel Gibson is Othello. <laughs> <laughs> and Julia Stiles still... Uh... She's got to. No, he wouldn't use Julia Stiles. He would use, um, what's his... Jennifer, oh, Jennifer Carpenter. Carpenter yeah, sure, absolutely. But... Um, no, but I'd still just love Julia Stiles to be in it. I was showing the kids a clip from... As the from, wife from Othello. Oh, from... Chevelle. What's her name? Don't look it up. I don't know. I was showing kids a clip from Julie Tamer's, um filmed production of Midsummer Night's Dream. And they're just like, oh, what is this? I was like, Julie Tamer, she's great. She does these great Shakespeare adaptations that I cannot show you because, like, <laughs> this is a school where... You know, and you guys are 18. So they should watch it, obviously, but I don't want to be responsible yeah, show for showing them Tyus really? I mean, like... I still Tyus Adronicus in my sophomore year of college. You did, and I did, but they're not gonna. Well, that's why you're there. That's why you're there. Anyway. Watch movies. Drink, drink sea hags. And, uh... Or... Counterweight. Yeah, or... Uh, Southern Jew. That was good. Yeah. That was good. Uh, I'll talk to you uh, maybe next week. See you